not bothering my kid? Sorry. Arthur, I have some bad news for you. <laughs> this is the last time we'll be meeting. You don't listen, do you? You just ask the same questions every week. How's your job? Are you having any negative thoughts? All I have are negative thoughts. And finally, in a world where everyone thinks they can do my job, check out this guy. When I was a little boy and told people I was going to be a comedian, everyone laughed at me. Well, no one's laughing now. You can say that again, pal. For my whole life, I didn't know if I even really existed. But I do. People are starting to notice. Think this is funny? Is this a joke to you? Murray, one small thing. Yeah. When you bring me out, can you introduce me as Joker? Episode 304. There's already like 7 million podcasts Talking about pop culture and all that Makes us happy like shooting at a womp rat But it's all been done before We don't want to be a copycat We're the leftovers picking up the scraps Dropped by the cool kids it's, it's a trap Good it toss it, good it taste it Do we love it? Hey, let's face it, paint it, race it Let's embrace the Tupperware party Subculture spill over like a vulture Carry over counterculture Push over pop culture Leftovers. Joker here, the clown prince of crime, and you're listening to my least favorite podcast, Pop Culture Leftovers. <laughs> Hey, welcome to Pop Culture Leftovers, the only podcast that sounds even better the second day after it's been uploaded. I'm Brian. I'm Jake. And, and we're, we're the leftovers. leftovers. And this week we are talking about Joker. This is the new DC film. Have they labeled Jake, have they labeled this these standalone films? At one time they were talking DC Black. I know DC Black is like their line of like uh more adult gritty comic books. Is does this have I mean, does this have a name yet? Have they given us a name for this DC? Yeah, I didn't. I kind of paid attention to see if that kind of thing would happen here, but it really didn't look like there was any distinctions in like 
studio names that they did. Yeah. I mean, other than using the older Warner Brothers production logo. Makes us makes me wonder if they're going to, you know, I, I don't think maybe they didn't want to name it because, you know, as soon as Universal named their dark universe, that kind of fell apart. So maybe maybe they're just they're waiting to see how this one does. First. Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, much like how Vertigo got created in the comics, it originally wasn't titled, but then once it was, the the stuff that belonged under that banner just got placed under that banner. If you follow what I'm saying, so maybe right. if they do more one shots that are kind of elseworldy type movies, potentially they would retroactively put Joker in that category. Yeah, I think you know we've heard what are we here? I think. We've heard rumors of maybe like Red Sun, stuff like that. I think Matthew Vaughn was wanting to do that. He's wanting to do a Superman movie at one time. We'll see. I'm pretty sure Red Sun is like the next animated movie they're doing. Yeah, but they could also throw that. Yeah, into yeah, the... yeah. I was just trying to think if that was something I imagined or not. Yeah, no, it sounds about right. We are not alone this week talking about Joker. Uh, Dan West, welcome back, man. Bueno, Stacey, good to be back. How are yeah. you guys? Yeah. Wow. Decent. Doing doing pretty good. Can't complain. Uh, you're not the only one on this episode. First time guest. Welcome, Laura. How are you doing? I'm doing good. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Laura, um, I guess we're going to jump into this review, but tell everybody just a little bit about yourself. Well, I am from Alabama, and uh, I am a big DC fan, Marvel fan, Um I love Star Wars and Disney and all that jazz, and uh, I am super excited about this because Joker is, like, my favorite villain of all time, so awesome. super excited. Perfect episode to have you on. Should, should I say Roll Tide? Is that a thing with you? No. Fuck no. All right. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's no, why no, no. that's some that's some college football thing right yeah yes yeah. i don't i don't partake in any of that <laughs> all right yeah i if i had to war eagle <laughs> if i had to if i had a gun to my head yeah we got i i said roll tight she said fuck no <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> but yeah, of course, I want to thank Dan. I always love having you on. Laura, excited to have you on. We're going to be talking about Joker. Guys, I want to let everybody know that uh, we are going to be having spoilers throughout the episode. So this is your official spoiler warning. So going forward from any moment past this moment, if you haven't seen Joker, make sure to go out there and see it. I guess if somebody wanted to listen to this episode to get an idea if they should see it they can't we're gonna rate it first and so we'll let you know of our ratings but um the uh synopsis for the joker forever alone in a crowd failed comedian arthur fleck seeks connection as he walks the streets of gotham city arthur wears two masks the one he paints for his day job as a clown and the guys he projects in a futile attempt to feel like he's part of the world around him. Isolated, bullied, and disregarded by society, Fleck begins a slow descent into madness as he transforms into the criminal mastermind known as the Joker. This one is directed by Todd Phillips, best known for the Hangover films. Uh, he won the uh, Venice Film Festival's prize, the Golden Lion, for best film. And uh, during his acceptance speech, Phillips thanked Warner Brothers and DC for stepping out of their comfort zone and taking such a bold swing on me and this movie. 
there is no movie without Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin is the fiercest and brightest and most open-minded line I know. Thank you for trusting me with your insane talent. And that was a quote from Phillips. This is the first R-rated Batman-adjacent film ever. So this was a huge kind of swing for DC. I kind of think that... What do you think? Do you think that Deadpool and Logan has opened up the door for these R-rated comic book movies? Or do you think that... uh, you know, I mean, we've had them in the past. We had, you know, Blade and, and there's been some other like independent stuff. But I'm talking like most recently. Do you think that Deadpool and Logan have had a big influence in, uh, in making movies like this possible? I mean, Warner Brothers is doing it right now. It seems like Marvel Studios is the one that's kind of like, uh, um, not, uh, not partaking in this, uh, right now. So what do you, uh, well, and we'll see what they do with Deadpool. But what do you guys think, Dan? Um, I think it's twofold, really. I think you're completely correct that, like, that Logan and Deadpool have opened the doors and they were such great successes that we're probably going to see more of this. But I also think that, uh, man, you know, the Marvel movies especially, they're very family friendly, even when they are a little bit more kind of, you know, like a little bit more violent or a little bit more scary. Yeah. They still stay in their lane. They're very, very safe. Whereas I think the audiences kind of want something a little bit more different, especially with characters such as the Joker and Batman, but all comic book characters. You know, there's lots of us which are in our 30s, 40s, 50s that have read comics for years. And following that Marvel formula might get a little bit, I want to say boring, but tired. You know what I mean? That kind of superhero fatigue that we talk about quite a lot. So having something like this that's uh, a bit different, a bit fresh, I reckon that we're going to see uh, a lot of money coming into films like this. Yeah, it's crazy. We've kind of seen uh, Warner Brothers, it looked like they were, you know, they call themselves, the they, they really want to think of themselves as a filmmaker studio and not just kind of like a machine, I guess. Um, you know, they're all there to make money, of course. But what I'm saying is, like, you know, it started off with Zack Snyder's vision, and then all of, a, all of a sudden it started to kind of conform to, like, you know, Aquaman felt more like a Marvel Studios movie. You know, and so this these, these Elseworld stories that they're telling, it feels like they're kind of giving it back to the filmmakers here. And um, that's that's kind of, like, my opinion on this. I, I think that uh, that this is something that they've, kind of been they they were wanting to do originally they stepped back from it and then you get the right people involved and they're doing it again especially after the success of deadpool and logan jake what do you think yeah i i tend to agree with a lot of what you guys are saying um you know money is definitely a big factor i think more than anything like logan and deadpool like open the doors showing that yes you could make still a ton of money doing these r-rated movies but I also think it's it's a little bit of a natural fit, right? I mean, Batman and his characters have always kind of flirted with that being mature stuff anyway. I, you know, it was just right there on the line. So it's not a surprise that, to me, that this would kind of be one of the first franchises that would push that door open. I mean, even in the comic world, it was really one of the first big mainstream characters to kind of do that mature thing famously, you know, with a couple different stories. But here's the thing. It's like the Nolan movies were able to, I I still think the Nolan movies were pretty mature. You had, especially, you know, the dark Mm -hmm. Knight, And so it was like, 
you got Nolan doing the PG-13 Batman, and I think that those are pretty mature. I think, I think that taking this R-rated step was kind of a big deal for them, and, and I, but, oh, I agree that it was a big deal to to make the decision to do it, to have the balls to do it. But story wise, the line was pretty blurry already, right? It was once you pulled up your pants and decided you were going to go ahead and take this risk. The actual creative writing process was a natural. And it's a Joker story. I mean, if you read, you know, uh, you know, just like the the Joker comics and things like that. That you know, Alan uh, Alan Moore. Yeah. You know, so I mean, just oh, I'm, uh, Frank. Imagine Frank they did a Superman like movie adjacent character yeah. did it R before we saw any of this Batman stuff. You know what I'm saying? It's definitely an easier way to ease into this kind of material with these characters, I think, than any other DC character. Sure, at it, least the big mainstream. Definitely, I, I don't want an R-rated Captain America movie and an R-rated Thor, nothing like that. But like, I think even in the Marvel universe, you do have your R-rated characters. I mean, you could go R-rated with. You know, Blade, of course, and I think you could even do it with like a Moon Knight. Um, you know, that could definitely go that direction if they wanted to. Daredevil, of course. I mean, we saw that with the Netflix stuff, but um, yeah, Laura. But I find it fascinating what you're saying, though, because the, the balls of it is is you can go by Joker under ruse, and you you just made an R-rated Joker movie, right? Like all those other franchises we've named, kind of skirt that line, you know, for the most part, where they're not so mainstream, where you can buy birthday party materials for six-year-olds for it you know Mm -hmm. like that it's that's where it's like wow this was a really big risk and a really big dice to roll in my opinion oh yeah i mean you know even doing like a oh man and they've done it r-rated they uh fox did uh wasn't it fox that did an r-rated punisher was that tom jane was it was it r-rated yeah 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 but like i said even that character is not being marketed towards the younger set where i mean batman and joker like explicitly are a lot of times you know yeah yeah you yeah. go to any party store or kid birthday party stuff I and mean, you can get you can get junior kids joker t-shirts right now at target you know yeah they are but they That's you know fucked up. they have their well they have their <laughs> they have their an, animated counterparts which are you know what i mean a little bit true, more true. definitely more but even deadpool friendly. doesn't really have that right we're not selling deadpool t-shirts to six-year-olds you know, I, I, we're not. I bet there's kids out there wearing them now. I, I'm not saying that. Yeah, that's a different argument. Mine is. <laughs> <laughs> but just it's not it's not a franchise or a character that's mostly explicitly marketed marketed to a younger set. Where I honestly do think Batman is heavily marketed towards very young children. Oh yeah, like yeah. Some aspects of it, and the Joker included in that. You know, he's the almost the biggest adjacent character. Well, was this kind of like a big deal that they would make a, an R-rated Joker movie? To, you yeah, know, it's, it's I, fucking crazy yeah. that, they, that they did it. Yeah, I just think I think they had the, the perfect storm of getting, like, the director. I know Scorsese left the project but was originally involved. Um, and then, of course, getting Joaquin. Like, I think that that was kind of like the, the, uh, the tipping point. Laura, any thoughts on this? Yeah, I agree with y'all. Um... And, like, with Marvel, Marvel's more campy, and DC is just grittier. You know, like, everything is, to me, um, like, with Marvel, you have, like, mutants and stuff. And with DC, you have, like, you know, people who have had, like, serious shit happen to them. And, like, the aftermath of that. And you can't do anything cookie-cutter that will, you know 
express that. Like it has to be, to me, it has to be R and Nolan, um, to me started pushing the envelope, but then Logan, I loved Logan. Logan was awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, it definitely like blew my mind. Um, that's cause I love Wolverine. He's my favorite X-Men and, uh, that's like my Wolverine, you know, and, uh, I've been waiting for that. And, uh, so to me, like with that, just busting the door wide open, you know, it gave, you know, the opportunity to do something like this. And I think, uh, I think this was like superb. I love that version of Wolverine, but I'm also happy that Marvel Studios has the character now because we're finally going to get to see Wolverine in a suit. Oh, definitely. I'm, I'm calling it. We're all calling it. We're going to get to see Wolverine in the suit. It's going to happen. Oh, yeah. I think it's like the first image we'll see when we see an image of Wolverine. You know, oh, it'll man. be the Entertainment Weekly cover. That'd be great if we just see like the claws going through the mask. You know what I mean? Just oh, oh, like that old, like yes. the old cover. Kind yes. Of, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. But in like live action, man, that'd be Incredible. Uh, this movie is, uh, written, uh, by Todd Phillips and Scott Silver. Scott Silver has written a bunch of stuff over the years. He wrote 1999's Mod Squad, uh, The Fighter with Christian Bale and Mark Wahlberg. It's a movie I really enjoy. And then John's. I've actually seen John's, kind of a disturbing movie about prostitution. So, yeah, this guy is kind of all over the place with his writing here. Uh, the movie stars Joaquin Phoenix as Arthur Fleck, The Joker. Uh, this is his first role in a comic book film. He turned down the, uh, title role in Doctor Strange back in 2016. Um, as well as, uh, I didn't know this, as well as the chance to replace Edward Norton as the Hulk <laughs> in, uh, The Avengers 2012. He was unwilling to sign on to a multi-picture deal that Marvel Studios wanted at that time. Why they revisited him years later for Doctor Strange, I don't know. I don't, you know. It's, that's beyond me. We've got Robert De Niro here as Murray Franklin, and uh, we've got Zazie Beetz as Sophie Dumond. And let's see here. Frances Conroy from American Horror Story. She's uh, Penny Fleck, Arthur's mother. Uh, we got Brett Colin playing Thomas Wayne. Alec Baldwin was initially cast in that role, and he dropped out due to scheduling conflicts. Uh, Douglas Hodge plays Alfred Pennyworth. Probably my least, I'm going to get into this, probably my least favorite Alfred I've ever seen on screen. <laughs> I agree. Can I just yeah, say? Yeah, I don't think that's controversial. <laughs> yeah, I was not a big fan of Douglas Hodgepodge. I was just, just Doug, Doug, Hodge. I just was not a fan of this guy. That was just, that's Alfred? I was like, no. Hashtag not my Alfred. Uh, we had Dante Pereira Olsen playing Bruce Wayne. Uh, a lot of different people showed up in this movie as well. Mark Maron, of course. Uh, Brian Tyree Henry played uh, Carl, an administration employee at Arkham State Hospital. Um, did you guys notice who the uh, the guest was um, when uh, Arthur was watching the uh, was it Murray Franklin show? The, for, no, the, the, who was that? It was Justin Thoreau, the one that <laughs> the one that he was yes, the one he was imitating when he was trying to like you know at home watching it and and uh, imitating that uh, that guy going out there and uh, sitting down with uh, Murray Franklin. That was Justin Thoreau of the the leftovers, and then he was also 
the uh, agent, the Star Wars agent with the red plum bloom in, uh, what was that, Rogue One? He was in. I thought he wasn't he a Canto Bite guy. I don't even remember. He yeah he was a Canto Bite. He was the he was the original. Yeah, he was the original slicer, the agent. Uh, you know, like the James Bond looking guy that wore the red plum bloom on his on his jacket. Yeah. Okay, I got you. You confused me with the Rogue One. Oh, did I? What? What was? What did I say? You said he was in Rogue One. Oh, I'm sorry. I was like, I thought he was the Canto Bite Episode Eight guy, and then you said you acted like you knew everything, but you obviously do. I totally, I'm, I am fucked up. Let's move on from Star Wars back into Joker. He was in a. He, I should have just said he was in a Star Wars movie. He was in a Star Wars. Red Plume guy was good. That was a very apt description. It was a Red Plum Bloom. If you want to oh, be technical bad. here, I just yeah, I fucked up the movie. Uh, let's see here. I guess what we'll do now is we're going to go ahead and rate the movie before we kind of like unpack it. So if this is your first time listening, we'd like you to be familiar with our rating system. The rating system is simple. If the leftovers don't like something, they toss it. If they do like something, they suggest you taste it. And if it's brilliant, it gets a Tupperware rating. If all the leftovers love it, then it gets the pinnacle of success, a Tupperware party. All right, Laura, we're going to pick on you first. Want to know your rating and kind of like your, uh, you know, surface level thoughts on the movie. Well, I give it a Tupperware. Um, like straight out of the gate. It was a beautiful, beautiful, dark movie. Um, I love anything that has to do with like criminal psychology and, um, it, the descent down the rabbit hole was perfect. Um, it reminded me a lot of black Swan, um, and her descent in that movie. Um, and I just, I feel like the actors, other than Joaquin, like, they could have been just anybody. Um, Zazie Beats, it, it could have been anybody playing her. It could have been, you know, other than that, um, that's my only complaint, I guess. Like, it's not really a complaint, but uh, other than that, Joaquin's, like, perfect for this role just because of how he acts and how he um, takes his craft so seriously. And, um, I don't know. I just, I loved it. All right. Yeah. So we got a Tupperware there from Laura. I'm going to move on to Dan. What did you think about Joker? Oh man. Um, wow is probably the first word that I would use to describe this film. It was uncomfortable to watch for quite a lot of it. There's, it covers a lot of, um, mental health issues. Um, there's a lot of things about, you know, like funding and things like that going in that, uh, you know, make people worse and how people are discarded by society that they're part of. And it, it's, um, it's, it's brutal to watch. Um, there's not that much violence, despite what a lot of people have kind of like written in reviews and things. And obviously with Scorsese being part of this at the beginning, but also with Todd Phillips, um, kind of homaging a lot of uh, Scorsese's style. This really reminded me of Taxi Driver, the um, 
Martin Scorsese movie from I think it was seventy six, and uh, and as well the King of Comedy as well the other Scorsese film. Um, it has that film style, that kind of grainy film style. Cinematography is amazing. The score uh, is from an Icelandic musician. I can't pronounce her name. I know the first name is Hilda, um, and then the next bit has a load of like hyphens and things over the letters, so I can't pronounce it. But just just say score- just say Bjork. Okay, that's <laughs> the only artist anyone knows from Iceland. All right, so. I, I did. I did think the score was was really interesting. Um, it paid a lot of uh, a lot of um, respect to the score from The Dark Knight with that ever increasing violin tone that they use for Heath Ledger um, that just kept going up and up and up to build the tension at the beginning of the film. You know, they started with a very similar kind of thing which then eventually became this kind of weird melancholy like playful tune as as the film went on but it was dark and fucked up and i absolutely loved it it's a tupperware for me man i just it was brilliant all right so yeah we got two tupperwares here uh jake what did you think yeah, um, this was an interesting one. Um, right off the gate, it's it's a high taste it for me. I've actually the more I've kind of let this simmer, the more I've liked it. Um, to me, this movie definitely rests on the laurels of Phoenix's performance. Like, there's just so much of that. It's just so good, and you just can't take your eyes away from it. Um, this movie is never boring. I'll, I'll give you that. But I found it most interesting when it was being ambiguous with the plot points and what was going on. Um, You know, I'm talking stuff with his parentage and what really happened there and less interesting when it was on the nose about plot points. And I didn't really care for the side story with him and beats and the romantic interest. And I thought the reveal of that seemed very well, no shit. And other stuff was dealt with in such an interesting way that to this moment I'm still thinking about what the actual truth and possibility of those plot points are that it was weird to me that that was the thing that was kind of chosen to be spelled out that this is delusional if you follow what I'm saying it was just it was an odd storytelling choice for me and a little bit took me out of the movie um but yeah, I, this is a movie I'll definitely see again. I agree with Dan. It was very uncomfortable a lot of times. It was just, wow, you know. I, I've never seen a comic book movie like this. But I thought it could have been just plot-paced a little bit better. And like I said, that side story with, with Beats wasn't doing much for me. Hmm. Yeah, I just, uh, for me, uh, that side story was, we kind of saw like everything in his life I th- like I've, I've seen the movie twice. I saw it in Dolby Atmos the first time, and the second time I watched it in IMAX. And you know, I wanted to see it a third time, but you know, um, it felt like to me like everything good in his life was just stuff that he was imagining. And I think the movie kind of set that up uh, at the beginning with, uh, and we'll unpack it here in a second. But you know, with. Uh, his first uh, fantasy of uh, talking with uh, Murray Franklin and the whole, you know, bringing him down on stage and hugging him and like, you know, that kind of stuff, everything good that ever happened to him was all in his imagination. And I think that carried on throughout the film. But, um, I, uh, the descent that you're talking about, Laura, it was, I thought it was masterfully, 
done. Yes. And, and, totally. and there's certain things in this movie. There's, you see, there's the scene of him when he's in Joker costume, full Joker costume for the first time. And he's dancing down the stairs. And yes. His descent. It's 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 basically saying the like stairs had so much symbology yes. throughout the movie. Yes. Let let me let me get this out real quick. The stairs is like he's going. It's like I feel like that's like his descent. But it's also you can see how happy and how just the pure joy he has in that. And it's so backwards. Now when we see him, those same stairs, we see them two other times in the movie. And he's walking up the stairs. Now, I've always, like, when you see somebody walking up, like, walking or running up the stairs that you think of Rocky, you know, going up, you know, running up the stairs and getting to the top. And and he's going down the stairs and he's happy. But the two times that we see him going up those same stairs, he's carrying the bag of medication and he just looks defeated. You know, he he, you know, he just looks defeated. He He hates his life. He the hates stairs is like his struggle. Yeah. I, I the constant struggle. I the hill. I thought it was hey, can I rate this thing, Laura? Can I <laughs> you know? I haven't opened it up yet for discussion, Chief. I'm fucking with <laughs> you. I'm just having fun. Um but I I like the um this there's so, the movie's so symbolic and, and, and trying to figure out the theme of this, it, it'll just drive you crazy. I'm like, at the, at the end of my second viewing, I was like, is this a, like when he's looking out the window and just the pure joy in his face with all the anarchy that's going on, I'm like, is this a love story? <laughs> Cause I, <laughs> am I, you know, like he just had this look of pure, like, joy and love of what the, of the chaos that's going on here and um i the 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 pacing in this one for me the second time it just flew by the first time i'm just like dissecting everything and analyzing it and like the second time it just the, the pacing just flew by i loved this movie i just thought it was just the perfect blend of darkness and uh, just taking risks with art, taking risks with characters, and I just think that this is uh, this is a movie that people that, that people are going to be talking about. This is one that people are going to be talking about, especially you know after here we are talking about it. Like this is something that I have to talk about. Um, the, the, let's just start unpacking. I'm going to give it a Tupperware. I thought it was absolutely fantastic, <laughs> but yeah, so. Let's just start unpacking it. As far as like when the movie starts, I just want to say this. The opening credits font was just so early 80s. And I, it, <laughs> it really kind of just set the tone of like, Dan, what you were saying, like we're watching, you know, like, you know, Taxi Driver and stuff like that. It just it really felt like I was watching like an early 80s film. Yeah, hundred percent, man. And um, it's and that that theme, that sort of like you know the, the cinematic theme of it being, oh, God, it's so good. It seems to be set in what I would consider kind of like a timeless era. You it's, know what I mean? There, yeah, there is technology, but they, it also it's like with the music that like he listens to on the radio is all sort of like nineteen like twenties, thirties, forties music, and like there's like Frank Sinatra in there and things like that. And it just kind of it sets you in this world where you're not really too sure what kind of time era it's in. It's supposed and, to be 1981. Oh, was it really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would have thought earlier. 
Yeah, and I just—I mean, it was mainly because I'm so uh, obsessed with like listening to scores and like the uh, and the music and everything in films that that always really lends me to think about what time or what time it's set in. Also, you know, what sort of themes and stuff the director's trying to put across. But yeah, that, that just with the the font at the beginning and like those kind of those sweeping camera angles over the streets and you see all like the garbage in the streets and there's it, very similar to Taxi Driver. Um, all the news reports are saying like how crap everything is and there's there's rubbish everywhere and there's super rats, super and rats, all this sort of shit. It was it was so <laughs> oh, man, just the world that they built that was that is Gotham um, without like slapping you around the face with it it you know it was it's very subtly done and that's one thing i will say about this film is for me it's not a super villain film it's like you were saying brian for me the reason i enjoyed this so much is this is this is film in the classical sense that i studied it in this is a piece of art and like just from start to finish like i was just soaking it all in and like laura was saying like the like symbolism symbolism plays a huge part in this film and uh yeah loved it fucking loved it carry on yeah no you're fine you're fine yeah i (laughs) i I, there's okay at the beginning we see him you know he works as a clown and entertainer and you know helping out like you know, different businesses that, that need entertainment. You know, he'll even do songs and dances for children's hospitals and things like that. But like, at the beginning when he gets the crap kicked out of him by those kids in the alleyway, <laughs> did you notice the flower that he had on started to squirt liquid? Did it really? Yes, I, the set, on my second watch, he, he looks just terrible in the alley, just beaten up. And to add like insult to injury, like then the flower just starts to dribble liquid <laughs> out of it. It's the, it like, it's the saddest looking thing. It's like, you know, like if you had gotten the shit kicked out of yourself and then you pissed yourself, it's like basically yeah. that, that happening with this flower. And I was yeah. just like, that is a nice touch. And, and, and of course it like, you know, you think about, you know, it's, I guess it's a little bit of an Easter egg. You think about the Joker and so many different forms of media where that flower, you know, contains like a toxin or something, you know, or an acid that, you know, can, yeah. that can hurt you. And so I, I just thought that that was just a really cool touch in that scene. I love that they, um, that they added the flower, that they added, um, kind of like the humor from the, uh, Batman show from the sixties. Like to me, like, it was just his aesthetic and everything, you know, was like harkened back to that. But like the humor and the delivery in throughout the whole movie, like you're not supposed to laugh at some of it, but it's you, it, it makes you uncomfortable and mm-hmm. then, but you can't help it. Like there were so many times where everybody was just like in the whole theater, both times I went was just, belly laughing and it's like you know we all would like look at each other like we shouldn't be laughing at this but you know <laughs> we couldn't help ourselves you know? there, yeah it was it was definitely like i went <laughs> i went opening day and i went to the early show they had it at four o'clock for the early show and so i was like so i went there and there's there's quite a few people there and 
of course there was there were the jokes that we all laughed at like you know oh i forgot to punch out and he just beats the shit out of the out of the time <laughs> clock and you know i fucking was rolling at that i was like that is just great yeah um, like when he's like laughing so everyone's laughing and yeah. he's like going, ah, ha, ha, laughing walking out the corridor laughing turns the corner and then just stops blank face yeah Oh, creepy but funny as fuck. Oh, <laughs> really good. Just... We, had, we got lots of laughing at just his running in our crowd. Yes! Yes, he ran like a fucking cartoon character. <laughs> yeah, it was that great. That was something I... I picked up on as well. He was, bleh, his running was so weird. It was very flat foot running, you know? Yeah, very... yeah I kind of loved it. It yeah. was pretty fantastic like t- to the character, you know? Yeah, he needs to be in like a... A Beatles biopic where, like, he's just <laughs> the girls help. are <laughs> help, and just like all the, all the girls are chasing him. <laughs> it was, oh man, <laughs> that's probably an easy uh, edit you can make once this once this thing comes out on home home video or oh, home release. You know, I want to like t- <laughs> I want to see like uh, who ran more in. Uh, in Joker or or Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible Fallout. <laughs> I was gonna say that as well. Yeah. <laughs> I think Tom Cruise may have the win. Those those Mission Impossible movies are usually a solid two hours thirty minutes. So I think the extra half an hour of movie time edges Cruise over. I I didn't really care. I, it was a joke. I, <laughs> <laughs> that joke did not help it. No, just self. Jake, 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 like literally starts to like give me the answer to a question that I really didn't care about the answer. Um, let's see here. Yeah. So, uh, what, like, what did you guys think about? I, I guess I want to jump into his condition and. And this was something that we had talked about on a previous episode, Jake. We 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 knew that, that they, his inspiration for this laugh. I'm actually just going to read this from Dark Horizons. Um, they were talking about Joaquin Phoenix, and he it goes on to say, recently speaking with Italian magazine Vernardi, uh, the actor revealed he researched a specific mental condition to emulate when it comes to his character's signature laughter. I started. With the laugh, I watched videos of people suffering from pathological laughter, a neurological disorder that makes individuals laugh uncontrollably. Uh, the key feature of the disorder, pathological laughter or crying, PLC, is a lowered behavioral response threshold resu- resulting in episodes of laughter and or crying without an apparent motivating stimuli. Uh, stimulants. Um, it can uh, also include responses incongruent with the correct emotional response in a given situation. Uh, example: laughing at sad things. We, we. I mean, that came across in this in this movie. And when Dan, what was the name that you looked this up as well? What, did, oh, it was a uh, uh, pseudo bulba. Pseudo bulba. Okay. Yeah. So, so PSA, it's called. Okay. So. I was I, I, I they tackled this head on like you, you see him in the scene in in a scene that we actually saw in the trailers of you know him making funny faces to the child in the bus and the mother is um, basically saying you know like leave my kid alone blah 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 and then he starts to get upset you can see him visibly get upset and then starts to react 
at, by laughing at something sad that he is something painful to him because he was just trying to bring joy to, to a kid and he's trying to bring joy to everyone. Like that's his whole purpose. He says that his mother said that, you know, he's, his purpose is to bring laughter and joy to everyone. And here he is trying to do it. And here we've seen this guy just get the shit kicked out of him every day, laughed at, mocked. And here he is trying to just, finally he's got an audience in this child and it's taken away from him. And then he starts to laugh uncontrollably and then hands her the card that explains his condition. Um, I was, I was kind of, uh, I was kind of like blown away that they had, that they did this. Do you guys think that they made the right move in, in doing that and, in, in, in him, you know, in, in kind of like addressing this condition as opposed to just like, you know, him talking about it in interviews? Yeah, I, I thought it was very interesting. I thought it was one of the like kind of ambiguous plot lines of the movie. Like by the end of the movie, are, are we even a hundred percent sure that that was? The condition that he had? I believe it was. Now, when, and let me explain. The, they, we find out later that his mother has some, uh, mental, uh, illness as well. And there's articles in the newspaper about, uh, you know, her and, uh, the treatment of the child and, you know, him getting beat and her getting beat by the man that she's seeing at the time. The condition when the doctor first, when he first brings it up to the doctor, um, he, him, he, he himself or the doctor, and maybe one of you can correct me here, say that it can be brought on by, uh, neurological damage or like brain damage, you know? Yeah. And when they found him tied to the radiator, they said that he had he'd suffered brain trauma. Yeah, he had like a head trauma, right. and it was because of that. That's why he has this uh, this uh, PSA thing. Exactly. So I think that it's one hundred percent legit. Like this is something that he does suffer from. That's part of his childhood, and it just carried on t- into his adulthood. And, yeah, yeah. I thought it was interesting, man, because we didn't see. We obviously had no explanation for the laughing, and that was one of the first scenes that we see him in when he's talking to you know this health worker this therapist um that he he can't stop laughing and it, it so much so it seems to cause him like physical pain and he does that horrible kind of like grunting noise mm-hmm. like he's like sucking phlegm or something and i just thought I, at the beginning of the film i was obviously intrigued but i was just thinking oh is he i was thinking i oh, might be like overselling it a bit for me and then when with that scene on the bus that you were talking about and he brings out the card and they read the card and you're like, oh shit, he just, he can't not do it. He has to do it. It's something that he can't control. And then that made those, those first few scenes where he was doing it make a hell of a lot more sense because it actually had, you know, he actually had like a physical reason for doing mm-hmm. it instead of, you know, just overacting, which was what I thought originally. But to actually put that in the, you know, in the character's uh, history and in the script, I thought it was genius. And he's, I mean, yeah, he, that's a. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, that's a great call. I, I'd forgotten about how they did a really good job kind of showing it was causing him pain to do, to doing the laugh. Like that nuance of the performance was insane. It, you were right. It was almost very flimmy, clear your throat. Like, uh, it was weird. He would even like put his hands by his neck a couple of times. Yeah, that was like, when he was doing stand up. Like it would, it would almost like choke him. Like it would almost yeah. be so painful that it would choke him and he couldn't breathe at certain points. It was, uh, I, I think, you know, watching the videos of people 
that suffer with this disorder. And I think that, uh, you know, that's, this is a, this is a disorder that's new to me. I had never heard of this before. So, yeah. So, I mean, but, um, I, I really thought it was interesting that, that, that they addressed it in the film, the way that they did with, with him carrying the card and that they included that as part of, uh, the Joker's, uh, makeup here. It's, I, 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 I think it, yeah. I like it a lot too. Like as, as a plot point, it, it makes a lot more sense and it makes it less comic booky that, Oh, I'm the clown prince of crime. So therefore I have to laugh like a crazy clown prince of crime type thing. You know, it, it brings a whole different kind of reasoning to the laugh mm-hmm. that, that actually does make a lot more sense to the character and kind of gives the character more respect than just yeah. yo, ha, 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 this is what I do, you know? Yeah, I felt like it gave him a bit of vulnerability and it made me, you know, feel sympathetic towards him and it made his story even sadder because, you know, he can't help but be like the super awkward, weird dude, you know, like he can't help it. And whatever he's been through, it also seems almost like a coping mechanism. Like when he needs to cry, he just tries to laugh instead but, you know, since they did say, you know, he has a disorder, like, I could see how it could be both, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we see that when he's, like, putting on the makeup and he, like, pulls his mouth and he's laughing, but he's also crying at the same time. And then when he, like, lets go of his cheeks and his face just slumps down into that, that sad face. Yeah. But yeah I mean, and that's exactly what I thought as well. I thought that he would force himself to laugh even though he was feeling sad and that was again that was right at the beginning of the film before we found out about the actual condition that he had yeah yeah i was uh me and jake had talked about the condition before like that's where he based it off of and you know we didn't know if they were actually gonna actually bring up the condition in the movie or if he was just basing it off of that um he he lost 52 pounds in preparation for this movie and and um his goal was to actually portray a character that audiences could not identify with and he took zero inspiration from any of the previous joker actors um i hear something i want to throw out there other than uh you know the batman 66 series and animated stuff i'm talking films here live action films have we had an actor play the character twice Jack Nicholson one time, Heath Ledger one time, Jared Leto so far one time, probably hopefully only one time, and then <laughs> and then um, I, lo- even, I even Caesar Romero only did one movie. Yeah, the yeah, the one yeah, and and then and now we have Phoenix who said like you know this is a one and done. So you know I mean are we we've never had I don't think we've ever had an, an actor in a live action film. Yeah, you know what's bizarre is it, it would have been Heath. Oh yeah, they they set him up to come back. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, Nolan said as much. So mm-hmm. that that is truly bizarre. Like it it definitely was planned to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, fifty two pounds he lost for this. I think that Oof. he looked the, the scene and it was in the trailers when he's like hunched over and he's pulling the shoes apart. You know, he's like loosening those leather shoes. He just looks so emaciated and 
It's just like there's a bit of body horror going on. Who's tapping over it, there? We got Fred Astaire over there. What's going on? It's me. I'm sorry. All right. So yeah, <laughs> yeah um, it was it was gaunt and gross. Like it was definitely one of the most disturbing parts of the movie. Was anytime he had his shirt off. Oh man, like the this the him with his arms up and. And dancing and <laughs> with, the the, un- <laughs> with the gun and the underwear. And he, oh my gosh, just like the way he, he was very kind of like childlike with like that gun and that conversation that he was having, you know, <laughs> when he's yeah. pointing the gun at the TV. And I was just like, and then he sh- he's still living at home for crying out loud. And he, it's a war movie. Yeah. <laughs> It's the reaction was to turn the TV set up, right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, that was that was creepy, man. I was going to say like his the his body transformation. I would say it's second only to Christian Bale from The Machinist. Oh yeah, but, but uh, yeah, it's a very similar feeling. Maybe it's, it's like and then yeah. Christian Bale again for uh, Vice. I mean, where he put on the weight. So oh yeah, that's Gosh. right. Yeah, because <laughs> he went from the machinist yeah. to Batman, and uh, they said like, "Oh, just get as big as you can." Well, think about and this: always- Jared Leto lost a ton of weight for Dallas Buyers Club, and then he put on a ton of weight for what was it, Chapter Thirty Two? Oh yeah, God. Yeah, like and then all these method actors, all these method <laughs> actors, yeah. Um, oh, and I just remember this too. Joaquin Phoenix has a descended shoulder, so his shoulder is like sunken in naturally. You it just have- you just remembered that? That is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I I know a lot of weird <laughs> random trivia. I <laughs> I did. I just remembered that. So <laughs> that is wild. Oh, I was sitting here thinking about it. I was like, oh yeah, I read that somewhere. I don't know what's more bizarre: the fact that he has a sunken in what is it sunken in shoulder? What was it? Yeah, he has a descended shoulder. It descended happens during childbirth. Okay, I don't know. It's crazier the fact that he has that, or the fact that you just now suddenly remembered that fact. <laughs> I have a weird memory. <laughs> oh, that is that is incredible. That's a that's a top ten uh, PCL moment right there. I'm telling you. Um, let's talk. I want to talk. I want to talk about. I want to talk about. Uh, do I want to talk about that now? Do we think? Do we? Okay, the movie leads you down a path of oh Arthur Fleck might be Bruce Wayne's half brother. Yeah. Oh now hold on, hold and then and then it's like, no, Penny Fleck is crazy. And then you start to believe that. And then the photo. Right? I mean the photo and on the back of the photo of Penny Fleck, a young Penny Fleck, and she looks very pretty in that picture. And on the back of that photo, it says, I love your smile, dot, 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 T, the initials TW. Like, is that enough for us to think that something was going on between those two? Or do you think, like, just those comments kind of sparked her, like, you know, infatuation for Thomas Wayne? Or do you think that something actually maybe happened between her and Thomas Wayne? He's got the money to cover it up. He's got the money to throw her in Arkham. He's got the money to doctor these papers. I mean... I like to think that reality. It's an Elseworlds movie, 
so you, you can kind of let wild with it. You know, you don't have to worry about any future buildups on movies. I, I like that, that they've left this so wide open. And I really like to think that him and Bruce are brothers, half brothers, at least. Dan, I know you got thoughts. <laughs> I've always got thoughts. I know. Uh, yeah, man. I, I, when I saw that at the end as well, I was just like, oh, and that that leads me to uh, one of the things that the film seems to do quite a lot, which is no one in this film seems to be wholly good or whole, like wholly bad, and. Thomas Wayne's is a prick in this, for definite. Um, and I think that you might be onto something, especially by the way that he reacts to him when he kind of confronts him in the bathroom, and he just like punches him in the face. Well, couldn't and, that be like, because he? Those. Well, he threatened his butler, and he was around his child. Could that just be, oh. you know, Papa Bear protecting his, uh, you know, his son? Yeah, it could it could definitely be that, but he's definitely not a nice man, and uh, I like that. I really enjoyed the way that you know, like even Arthur himself. Obviously, like I, I wouldn't say I was sympathetic to him because he was uh, such an asshole, mm. to, you know, by killing people and things like that. But um, I would say that I, I pitied him as, as a human being for definite, and I did. I felt sorry for him, um, but you know, he's. Mm. So, but again, you, you have these moments where you feel bad for the guy and then he goes and does something horrific. And in some senses, you think, oh, man, it's, diff- it's so difficult. It makes you think shit that you really shouldn't be thinking. So when he's like on the train and he ends up taking those guys out, at first you think, oh, he's going to fucking turn around and get them and he's going to beat them up. But he doesn't. He like just murders them and he's gruesome and you suddenly don't feel as bad for him because of the way he slaughters <laughs> these people um but yes yeah, so, i mean that that whole thing of uh you know people not being wholly good or wholly bad it's uh that that little picture those little that little writing on that picture that made me think that maybe there was something going on there mm-hmm. that, that thomas wayne covered up laura what are you thinking do you think uh Tom, <laughs> thomas wayne was you know like oh hold on it's like Think about this. It, it wouldn't be the first time somebody in the Batman family has banged the maid. I mean, look at Ben Affleck, you know? So, I mean. <laughs> Laura, what do you think? Do you think, you think Tom, I mean, it's, I mean, I don't think there's a right or a wrong answer. I'm just curious as to what you guys think. I definitely think this movie is open to interpretation. Um, and it has an unreliable narrator. And so the first, the first time I saw it, I was seeing it from like a very, you know, like lean, linear um, perspective. But then when I saw it the second time, I was like seeing all the different layers. And I was like, this whole thing is a delusion. Like, that's how I felt when I left uh, today. I was like, you know, I, I maybe it could have happened. Maybe not. It's so back and forth. I think all the good things that happened to him before he like what he perceived as good later, because there's the whole speech on the couch at the Murray Franklin show of like, 
what you think is funny and what I think are funny are completely different things, but you know, who's right. And, but I, everything that good ha- that happened to him before, you know, he puts on the, on the makeup was stuff that was in his head. And I feel like everything bad that happened to him in this movie is stuff that we're actually watching. This is stuff that's actually happening. And as far as the whole Thomas Wayne thing, Penny at one point says something like he told her that, you know, they had to stop doing this because it wouldn't look good for appearances. And I mean, for a woman that is as crazy as they said she was, you know, and, uh, you know, and that's, that's what this, you know, Thomas Wayne, Oh, she's crazy. Your mother's crazy. I don't, is she, is she making up that story in her head of him saying that or, or because you would think that the crazy delusional woman would still think that, you know, they should be together and they're, and, uh, you know, he still holds a flame for her. So part of me thinks that this definitely could have happened. Like, and that picture kind of just kind of like was, was just a little bit more fuel, um, you know, to that fire. Like, you know, he was just very, I mean, think about, think about that. Think about that. Just look at, think about that. Uh, love your smile, dot, dot, dot. You know, it, it, it's not, it's not like, you know, it, it, it's not saying something too risque to where she could use that against him. It's just, just enough. It's just yeah. enough. And it's a, yeah, just like these yeah. weird half truths mm-hmm. just kind of like, you know, littered throughout the movie. And that's definitely one of them. So like you say, man, it could be something that it might have, been, it's obviously something that she got from him. Maybe you know, she mm-hmm. fucking made it herself, but either way, like just having that, that could be enough to form that delusion that we know drove her to believe that. Yeah, but look at all the um, men in power in this movie. I, I can't think, of, and maybe you could prove me wrong here, but all the men in power in this movie, even down to his boss at his job, are really terrible people. Like the Wall Street guys were complete jerks to the woman on the train. All the men in power in this were just completely awful people. So it's like if you take that formula and then just kind of like say does that apply to Thomas Wayne? I if it does then I think you know you know he, he this could be a cover up, you know. He doesn't But wanna... then in, but if that's the case are those adoption papers fake? Yeah, I mean <laughs> this guy's a billionaire, Dan. Yes. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> it'd be easy to do for Thomas Wayne. You can do- it's easy to do. You can doctor those you can doctor those if you know people in high places. If you I mean if you're chummy, if you're golf buddies with the judge or whoever or if you say, "You know what? I will I will uh fund uh you you want that new wing of the uh orphanage? I'll fund it. I'll build it." Dude, sure, here's a fucking piece of paper. It's Thomas Wayne. (laughs) They probably named the goddamn orphanage after him. And you can see why he would have reasons to not want this to be public knowledge. Agreed. The the motivations are are definitely there if that were to be the case. I do love just how it's just so wide open. I, I definitely could believe either or. Yeah. 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 Zazzy Beats character, I, you know, the, Sophie Dumond, this whole, as I'm watching like this whole faux romance unfold, I'm like, 
what I'm like, this makes no sense. What does she see in this guy? Yeah, she was his Tyler Durden. Yeah, totally, totally. Exactly, exactly. It was a total Tyler Durden moment. And so when 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 that reveal came into play, I was just like, okay, all right, <laughs> this makes sense. This yeah, makes was, sense. What was that line, man? It was like, you know, he like came back, he like just crashed out on the couch, head in his hands, and then when she came in, shit her pants because there was someone in the house. I thought, oh, she's just spooked because she didn't hear him come in. And then she like says, you know, your name's Arthur, isn't it? What are you doing here? And I was like, oh, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then we had all the flashbacks where she was there and then she wasn't there. And, oh, that was that was great. I really enjoyed that reveal. Oh, you know, I had an inkling that that might be the case, but it wasn't it wasn't a definite yes or no that this was all in his head until we saw that. And, yeah, oh. Wow. I had heard there was a rumor that, by the end of this movie, the whole thing would have been a a dream, oh, like you know, something that was yeah. in his head. Like that was a rumor that was out there. He's been in Arkham the whole time. Yeah, been in his head. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, when we got to the end of the movie and we saw him in the white room, I was like, "Are they really gonna fucking? Mm-hmm. Are they gonna? They're gonna JR us? <laughs> they're gonna Dallas us? <laughs> oh, I thought they were gonna. They were gonna new heart us. You new know? Heart, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so. I just that uh, that reveal. I just did not care for it. I did not like the Tyler Durden esque. Like, let's revisit all the scene stuff. I, and I just it just played so much better without that to me. I thought it was very smart in like the whole thing seeming very like it possibly wasn't happening already. That yeah. I wish it would have just been left as ambiguous as the discussion we're having about you know is he or isn't he not Bruce's brother? And like, it just felt a bit needless to me. And I, I don't know, man, like from the very scene when like she asked if, if he's following her and then they start flirting, like I was like, Oh, this is a bunch of bullshit. Like this isn't really happening. So yeah, I, 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 like, I wish they would have yeah. gone down that road more. I wasn't, I, I, you know, like I, I, I didn't pick that up. I, I was like, I didn't pick all that up. I, for me, it was, um, you know, the reveal and then thinking back to like what we had seen, you know, like him following her around and then knowing that he does have like this wild imagination where like, you know, fantasy and uh, reality kind of like do mix and the the lines are blurred and he doesn't really know what's going on. And so um going back and thinking about like maybe that 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 first interaction that they had on the elevator elevator and he fantasized about it and brought that to life within his own mind, you know, by following her, almost going into the bank and, and, and following her and, and going out. And the whole time I am thinking to myself, this is weird. I, I, you know, who's watching her child. Um, I was thinking, you know, there were, why haven't we seen the kid again? (laughs) I'm thinking these things, but I'm, I'm just letting the story happen. I'm letting the story happen. Yeah. And so when we finally get the reveal, I, I, I do think it fits in kind of like what they've set up with the character. And I, I, I do think that it enhanced the story rather than detracted from it. I, I did, it, it worked for me. Um, 
I could so. see how it would work. I, I just thought the reveal was clunky. Sure. And and way less artistic than everything else that was going on. But they're not wanting that big reveal like you had in uh, Fight Club, though. They don't want that to be like the whole – like the- it, but it felt like they – just the overuse of the flashback. Like I, I wish they would let us as an audience be smart enough to um, just watch the movie a second time. Yeah, you have to be careful with that though, dude, because like the whole you've seen American Psycho, right? Yeah, yeah, like that. You know, there's never an explanation whether or not everything that's happening to Patrick Bateman is in his head or if it's actually happening in real life. And people that watched that film and didn't understand what was going on were so fucking confused because there was never a reveal like that. So I don't know. Is it? I I don't think you're giving people too much credit. Yeah, I just don't think you you need it. Like, I I think I I get what you're saying, Dan. I do think I'm probably giving people too much credit and maybe that's too smart. But I just feel like there's got to be a happy medium place to where we don't like it's so Fight Club-esque when they do the replay all the weird moments. I just think it could be handled a little bit more delicately and it kind of threw me out of the movie. Yeah, no, I agree, man. Yeah, I totally see where you're coming from. I I enjoyed it because I was I was being a stupid audience member and didn't realize what was happening, even though it was in the back of my head until they showed it to me. But yeah, I totally understand because they could have left it and it would have been very similar to the Thomas Wayne thing and been quite ambiguous. And for you to make up your own mind to see whether or not, you know, I mean, to be honest, actually, I think you've turned me on this. You don't even need the flashbacks just from the, her reaction for him being on the sofa. You know, once she drops those lines about, like, oh, your name's Arthur, why are you here? Can you please leave? Then you're just like, oh, yeah, shit, that's, that was all right. That's, yeah. That'd be gorgeous. Yeah, that would be Can pretty me. dope, actually. <laughs> I oh, had a feeling a- from the get-go that, that it was a bunch of bullshit, because from a woman's perspective and a mother's yeah. perspective, I was like, I would never, ever, <laughs> ever date this motherfucker. Like, ever. Yeah, what was the attraction? That was like, <laughs> like, never. Yeah, so, like, like, the comedy, uh, the comedy club scene? Like, what, like, <laughs> this guy is, you know, you know, hyperventilating, laughing uncontrollably, and then all of a sudden, like, the audience loves him, and she's like, Loved his set, I guess. It was so weird. See, to me, yeah. <laughs> he was kind of having like an episode and he imagined her. Well, and yeah. he felt better, you know, and he, I just, yeah, from a female's perspective, no. Yeah, like, what I, what I, just, I, I get that. Like, that, it's all a construct in his mind. He made it up. But, like, what woman in her right mind would see what just happened and then continue the evening with said guy. Right. Like, what yeah, let's die on stage and then fucking go out for, you know, hot dog or bagels afterwards. That sort of thing. I, mean, I think they went to a donut shop, Dan. All right. <laughs> so. It was, oh, but yeah. I was going to say the scene in the elevator that you were talking about very much, um, like, when she just like the gun to the head, uh, mm-hmm. straight out a taxi driver. In case anyone doesn't know, that's what um, Robert De Niro's character yeah. does mm-hmm. right at the end of the film. Yeah. And I had obviously gotten the feelings of you know similar sort of tone to Taxi Driver, like just from those first sort of that so probably like half hour something like that. 
And then she did that, and I was like, oh, shit, this is so fucking cool. And, oh, it was like a, just a little kind of like, well done, Dan, you are correct. <laughs> this is what, you know, the sort of tone that we're going for. But just seeing those little, like, nods and winks to all the things that obviously inspired Todd Phillips to make this film was just, it was amazing. And I was going to say, the scene where he's following her to the bank, I never thought that the guy that directed the Hangover trilogy, of all things would have this nuanced, symbolic approach to directing. So, like, with Arthur, his hoodie was this kind of, like, weird, stained, yellowy-orange. And I think that um, uh, Zazie's... Did she have, like, a red jacket? Was it blue? I forget. But it was, like, every kind of character that you were supposed to be focusing on, they used the same orange and blue tones, like, for a lot of their costumes. And that was also really present in most of the lighting throughout the film this orange blue com- like contrast throughout loads and loads of scenes and so to have that kind of tonality going through the film was just oh it was so gorgeous to look at it was amazing yeah i don't think we can look at some of these di- like these directors anymore and just like pigeonhole them into one type of movie anymore like look at look at um uh, Jordan Peele. I mean, you know, the uh, Key and Peele, watching that comedy, like, brilliant comedy. Don't get me wrong. Brilliant comedy. One of the best sketch comedy shows of the last decade, in my opinion. I yep. loved Key and Peele. Um, but like, who would have watched that and thought to themselves, like, this guy is going to be a prolific director. He's going to be like the new master of horror. Like, I know. <laughs> this is like <laughs> this is the guy that when M Night Shyamalan goes to bed, he's gonna fucking like think of this guy and absolutely like hate him. You know, like <laughs> you've stolen all my thunder. You know, and so like that's I don't think we can. Some of these guys, I think they just do what they do so that they can get in and and do you know and and get their name out there. And, you know, we, I guess we never knew that Todd Phillips had this in him. And I think, I think he did a fantastic job with this film. I agree with that. Can we talk about the explosive violence in this movie? And it sneaks up on you and you don't see it coming. It's almost like in a lot of these scenes were inspired by Joe Pesci's character in Goodfellas. And one moment things are fine. You're joking, you're laughing. And the next minute you're getting stabbed in the pen by, with a fucking, uh, you're getting stabbed in the neck with a fucking pen. You know what I mean? Repeatedly. And that, and this is just the explosive violence and, and the train, you know, the subway, uh, that first shot that goes off, it was so loud in my theory. I'm watching it in Dolby Atmos. And just the way that that blood paints the back of that subway car, uh, that train. And, and then, I mean, and then throughout the movie, you know, we get these, we get the scenes of, uh, just, just explosive violence from this character. So it's like one minute he's, he's down on his luck and the next minute, like he, turns into this violent creature um were you guys, I, I don't know i was i was really taken aback that first scene when we got that i was yeah i agree I, I thought it was never not shocking honestly any of the scenes of sudden violence even having seen it once before 
seeing it again, it was shocking. And then, you know, when it happened at the end, it was yeah. shocking. I, they definitely did a good job of like spreading that out. And just honestly, dance kind of talked about it. The use of colors with the sudden violence too, was a lot like those, those reds were definitely like cinematography and like some kind of different lighting on it to really make it stand out even more to the dinginess of kind of the setting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there was, I mean, what, there was three really bad points of violence in this whole film. There was the subway, there was the apartment scene with um, Gary and Randall. Yeah. And then we'll see the shot with Murray as well. So, I mean, the thing is, the use of violence in this film, I think the actual violence is gritty, realistic, and, and gratuitous in, the, in what's actually happening. But the use of it isn't. They don't, like, spread violence throughout this film for violence's sake. They're in pivotal moments in the character's development. So the first one is the subway train. Like I was saying earlier, you you start feeling bad, and then he just fucking turns and just unloads on those guys, and then there's that dude that's crawling up the stairs, and he just fucking empties the gun into his back. And then from that scene is when he's then running through the street, and then he goes into the bathroom, and he has that kind of, epiphany moment and he's doing the weird fucking dance in front of the mirror underneath all the green and like you know strobe lighting and the music kind of kicks in and that's kind of like the first moment that we see him actually having some kind of control over his own life and he's kind of just like reveling in you know what he's just done and he, he's kind of yeah, yeah. the violence he makes g- him feel better and he, yeah. he knows it he it talks he talks with his therapist and says, for years, I didn't know if I existed, and now I do. I'm 100% sure, I'm paraphrasing, people are starting to notice. And it was because he saw himself on TV. He saw what he did, excuse me, the results of what he did on TV. And it made him feel like a person. Kind of like, if you're watching Steve Martin and the Jerk and his name is in the phone book i'm a person i'm a per- like he feels yeah. he's a person he's never been acknowledged before for anything people he talks about people passing him by and not noticing him if you read in his journal on the stuff that's not highlighted within the film there's like a whole thing i've tried to read as much as i could and it, there's a whole thing about like wouldn't it be funny if i just died on the sidewalk on the side of the street and people found me on the side of the street and blah 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 and like that's a thing in this movie like he brings it up later in his interview you know with franklin murray like if he was like hurt dying on the side of the street people would just walk by him and here he is you know basically uh this is what this is what makes him feel alive this is what makes like so the question is is like did was he born this way and and then we also throw in you know the the neurological problems that he's gone the brain trauma and then this disorder or did we make the joker did we make the did did thomas wayne have a hand in making the joker did his mother have a hand in making the joker did they make you know did they make the joker I thought the movie did a really good job of this. I, it's what really does make him not a sympathetic character and a true villain is I thought the movie did portray that he 
you know, makes the decision. I, I don't think it's his sickness. I, he, you can tell from the things he says that he knows violence is wrong, but yet he does it anyway, acknowledges that those things were a ripple in the pond and that he's actually affecting things and like comes to accept that and, and enjoy it, you know? And that's kind of the true villainy of the character is when he makes and accepts those choices and then continues down that road. Um, I thought the movie did a really great job of not painting that as some kind of sickness or disease and him just making the terribly bad choices. Yeah. But I mean, it does. I mean, he's trying to tell you a different story as well. He's, he's putting a lot of the blame on, on a lot of the, the people in his life. Like at the beginning of the movie, like he's, he's basically saying like his mother told him his purpose, this, that his purpose is to bring joy and laughter into this world. And then, I think he, something happens. He still thinks he's bringing joy and laughter into this world. Like when you look at him at the end of the movie and he's looking out there and he sees those people having a blast and causing anarchy and chaos and destruction, he thinks that's, that's what he, he feels like that's what she meant. That's he, before he thought it was just like him doing stand up comedy and that's how he's going to affect people. But he's like, no, you know, no, 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 no. That's not how I'm going to bring laughter and joy into this world. Look at these people having fun. And it's because of the things that I did. It's just, it's yeah, the comedy <laughs> just got him mocked on a national level. Well, he thinks this is the new comedy. Look at how, look at, look at this new audience. Like these aren't people that have come to sit down and, you know, uh, watch a stand up comedian. These are people that have showed up to, basically uh take down you know the rich and the powerful but look at look at the joy that they're having like and and look at the joy on on his face i'm just talking about like what's happening in this scene guys i'm not i'm not saying like no, I agree. this I, is I, yeah, this I, is I, like I yes like <laughs> this makes me happy too i'm just saying like this is <laughs> like like the movie shows these people having a blast rioting Beating the shit out of cops, causing destruction, anarchy, chaos, fires. It's just, it's a free for all. It's just people just, just, you know, destroying the city. And he, and, and it's, he did it. He did it. He's the one who started this. He didn't mean to. He, he didn't mean to be a symbol, but he started it. And so his, 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 his outlook on like, this message, this, uh, excuse me, like this, uh, his purpose from his mother, you know, to bring joy and laughter into the world is he doesn't see it the way he saw it before. There's, there's a different way to see it. And he even says so on the couch at the, 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 at the, uh, Murray Franklin show, like, you know, what do you think's funny? It's comedy subjective. You people say comedy subjective. What's really funny? Is it me or is it this guy? And he thinks like he's, you know, this is, this is his form of com. This is his form of comedy. This is what his purpose in life is, and this actually brings joy to some people. I mean, it, it's interesting, and this is like Jake was saying. I think it's a very interesting question that the film asks. Is I mean, you, Jake's obviously decided one way, but it seems that there's a saying which is like psychopaths are born and sociopaths are made, mm-hmm. and like like you were saying, Brian, it, it, whether or not he because of the head trauma or his upbringing or whatever well look at, okay, um, can i just say oh, yeah. let me just say this one thing and i yeah, want you yeah. to finish that thought the one person that he let go was the 
um, the little person. Yeah. What was his name? Gary. 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 He let Gary go. Gary treated him good. He let him go. And yeah. like, so, I mean, is there, is there something, does that mean something in the, yeah. in, in, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a, what I was going to say is, you know, throughout the whole film, he's trying to do good in a kind of conventional sense. Mm-hmm. And it's only these terrible things that happen to him that make him act out until it's not, until it's Murray just, you know, essentially taking the piss out of him on national TV. And that's another reason why I didn't like relate to the character in that sort of like empathic, uh, sympathetic way is because the guy's like a complete narcissist because he's been ignored all of his life. So all he wants is to be seen. And like you said, Brian, when the news report comes out about the three people that he killed on the train and he says to his therapist, you know, I believe I reckon people are starting to see who I am now. Um, and then the, the scene with Randall and Gary in the apartment, just go back to the violence. That was just fucking. When he picked up the scissors, I was just like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> and then he lets them in, and then he and this is this is the most uh, one of the most Joker moments in this film. Yeah, is he locks the door, and you think, "Oh crap!" And then he brutally murders Randall and leaves him like slumped on the floor, and obviously Gary is freaking out, and then he goes, you know. He says, oh, you can go if you like. And he's just like really nonchalant about the whole thing. He's completely indifferent about the situation. Like he's done nothing wrong. Oh, don't look. (laughs) Oh, oh, don't look. Yeah, so he like steps over the dead body. And then, of course, we have the the funny moment that Gary can't reach the lock. And he goes, I I can't can't reach it, Arthur. So he goes. And then from that moment when when Gary realized he can't reach it, I was like, Oh, that was one of the points where I had no idea what he was going to do. And for me, like being a comic book fan, that was one of the most Joker things. Has he set Mm -hmm. him up to have this funny little moment of then he was going to walk over there and kill him? I didn't know. But then, of course, we get a very slight scene of redemption where he unlocks the door, he opens it, and he just says to Gary, you were always so kind to me. And then he kisses him on the head and just goes... Off you go. And then he leaves. In it's every just, other so movie, neat. in every other movie, Dan, the character that killed the character would be like, you're not going to say anything, are you? Like, and that's yeah, like, exactly. you know, and I'm thinking to myself the first time I'm watching that, if he says that, like, that this is not going to work for me. This is, mm-hmm. that's not going to, that line is not going to work for me. Like, ooh, if I let you go, you're not going to say anything. Like, that, and that never happens. And I was just like, that's fucking brilliant yeah and it was also very close to the scene where he was like you said earlier he was practicing his entrance sitting down with murray and everything and then doing the knock knock joke and mm-hmm. then you know pulling the trigger under his chin uh, so so at that point we know that he plans to off himself on live tv yeah so he didn't you know obviously he could have just killed gary if he wanted to so for me it was like he there was a shred of of decency in there but by the end of the film, I thought that that was all just gone um, because, you know, I think he just let Gary go. One, because he was kind to him, but also he had nothing left to lose because he wasn't going to be there. And he didn't think that he was going to have to answer for that crime. But it was just a oh, explosive stabbing in the neck and the eye. And oh, fuck. I, I keep feeling like he just thought, like, if he kept doing bad things, he would 
he liked how he felt when he was doing bad things. And if he kept doing bad things that it wouldn't catch up with him. You know what I mean? Like it, it yeah. just wouldn't. Not only did he like how he felt, but he liked how the, it was the only way he could get the attention he so yeah. desperately wanted. Yeah. I mean, that's, that was connected to why he wanted to be on Murray in the first place and why he would, you know, have those, you know, imagining to be on the show and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Like, so he desperately wanted that attention and that fame. And, if he couldn't have it one way, he was going to have it another. Laura, I feel like you've got a lot to say on some of this stuff. And I know, like, <laughs> I feel like I, I, I want to make sure that you are able to get some of your thoughts out there on this because you really love this movie. Yeah. Um, he is an extremely deprived person and extremely deprived people are very dangerous or can be very dangerous people. And... When you're dealing with, um, especially trauma as like a child, he has had to cope in different ways and children cope in, you know, they have like child logic. It's not, it's warped. It's not exactly, you know, what's going on. They, they kind of have to come to some resolve in their head. And if he had like terrible trauma as a child, He's everything that he does is going to be just completely off kilter. And my dad is a prison guard. So I've grown up hearing a lot about different inmates and their stories Mm. and, you know, stuff like that. And, um, a lot of, a lot of weird shit. And, uh, (laughs) and then like, I love the show Mindhunter and you can see like, these people at like such a young age, they're having to figure out what's going on in their life. And with him, you can see that he's been so deprived. And so he's taking whatever he can get. Well, here's the thing with him. I feel like throughout this movie, there's the, there's the, um, he's reaching out. He's, he's searching for a father figure. Never had that real father figure. And we see it, you know, in his, uh, fantasy of meeting, you know, Franklin, um, Murray Franklin for the first time. And, you know, you know, if I had a son, I'd always want him to, I always wanted him to be like you. And then they have the hug on the, you know, right there on the stage and everything. And, and, um, and then, you know, and then later with, uh, with Thomas Wayne. You know, uh, right. he's, and, and of course, look at the two men, look at the two men that he wants to be his father figures. These are just, he's not looking at like, you know, he's not walking down the street and seeing a, a police officer or a fireman or, or even just a construction worker or a bank teller. Like these are, these are guys that are like in the public spotlight, very important men, you know, uh, you know, Franklin Murray, who's like, you know, like the Johnny Carson, uh, of this, uh, you know, this Gotham. You know, he's like the entertainment. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Thomas Wayne, who's like, you know, the, the billionaire, you know, and, uh, these are two important men. These are the men that like, and to, and I feel like he's putting his, um, uh, faith and trust into being important by kind of like, um, 
putting himself in the shadow of important men. That, like these men, these men, these men will validate my importance. Uh, if, right. if if these men are my fathers, or if they look at me a certain way, or if they take me under their wing, and I can have them as a father figure, that will make me important. And by the end of this, he's getting punched in the face by one. And, uh, is, is the, he, he sparks the fire, um, that eventually kills that, kills Thomas Wayne and his wife. And then, and then he ends up killing the other guy, shooting him on television. And so it's at that point, it's like <laughs> father figures be damned. He kills his own mother. Because he feels like his whole childhood was just a lie at that point, and we still don't know what's real and what's not real. We don't know if those documents were doctored or not. And so, like, See, and I don't even understand why they would even give him back to her if all that shit went down. You know, like it said, like you know, abusive. Like she let her boyfriend abuse him and all of that stuff, and. Yeah, why isn't he? Gotham. They don't. They don't have the best DCFS kind of systems there, you know. Well, they like they they took him away, and he was in he was in you know like uh, healthcare, wasn't he? And then she got released, and then when he came out of hospital, I'm assuming where well, he didn't know what his history was until you know later on in the film. So he probably thought that he just needed to look after his mum. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense too was that they gave him back to her. I think it was he went back to her to look after her because she was, she was old and she wasn't, you know, wasn't doing so well. So he thought he would look after his mum. And in his head, you know, she hasn't done anything wrong because like you were saying earlier, Laura, his, his trauma, he doesn't remember any of it. He doesn't remember the abuse or anything. And that's one of the reasons why this film is, it's not a superhero film in the traditional sense. It's way more of a, like a character study than anything else. And, that's that's why there's so many damn questions and we can only guess as to what you know the writers and what um Todd Phillips what wanted us to think or what they think of the character because you know Jake thinks he was born that way I'm more leaning towards the the that he was kind of created by the people ignoring him the fact he was abused um you know like there's so many points in the film where if it oh I don't think if, he was I don't think he was born that way oh I thought you said you did no, I thought I think he made he consciously made these bad choices. Okay. Well, I, but his but see yeah. the thing is like these bad choices that he made were influenced by the environment around him. Totally. Yes, I, I and I agree with that, just like you said. But I, I do think that's kind of where the villainy comes in. Is I do think the movie portrays that he does know right from wrong well enough to know that he's making wrong decisions. He just. It comes to a point where he doesn't care. Well, it yeah. comes to a point where it's like, I, I got to live my life my way because like, I, I've been trying to do, I've been trying to, trying to, and I'm, guys, I'm not, I'm just, I'm trying to, I'm trying to step into the mind of the, of the character here. Like he's trying, he's tried to do things. The, he's tried to function the way that we do, but he can't. He just can't. He's, and we don't, and we haven't been giving him the necessary attention that this person needs. Like, basically, is this movie trying to say, like, you know, these things can be, we can, 
we can stop these things from happening. We can stop people from being, from turning into these people. You know, if we, you know, but you know, the social services got cut off, his medication got cut off. Things really yeah. started to happen badly once he stopped getting his medication too. Yeah, and that was what I was going to say, man. Was it, there's there's several points in the film where if the situation had gone like you know 180, and you know, he would have carried on getting his health care and getting his medication, maybe none of this would have happened. And that's another question that the film is asking of the audience: is you know it it it's uh, you know well you know I'm me, sorry I've said it before on the show you know I I'm a manic depressive and like it's an important question to ask like society as a whole. We should be looking after people with mental health issues, you yeah. know? And having, having, having this, yeah. having this spell this out, like in front of you and having these like horrendous acts of violence and knowing that earlier on in the film, these things could have, it, this escalation could have been halted at any point by any one of these people, but no one gave a shit enough to do it. They were just like, well, not my problem. And then by the end of the film, like the entire fucking city is burning. Well, even it's, it's even, interesting point. even when he was getting therapy, I'm sorry, his therapist was not good. No, she, she was, she was <laughs> fucking she terrible. Sucks. And that's what you get when you get somebody who's not making enough money, who doesn't care. I mean, I was seriously like, I've been to therapy before and, um, I've had a few therapists and you know, there was one where at the end, all he did was read me a Bible verse mm. and, and, and say, have a good day, you know, and he wouldn't even talk to me. So like, oh, I get in it. that, you know, and it's hard to find a good one. And it's, you know, I, I can't even yeah. imagine you in the eighties. I've been clinically you know? just like Dan, I've been diagnosed with depression and I've seen, Psychiatrists, psychologists since I was 12 years old. And, you know, um, I've had decent, I've never had a great, <laughs> I've never had a great one to be honest. And I've had, a, I've had a terrible one. I've had a terrible one. I had a terrible one. Um, I've, I'm not going to get into that. I'm not going to no, get, I'm not going to get into that in the Joker episode, but, but, we had somebody in this movie who you could tell she like when he's saying like you don't I come in here every week and you don't listen to me I talk but you don't listen to me she 100% didn't listen to him no huh? like he, yeah. he, he, he same questions every week yeah and, you know he he mentioned that he had been pursuing stand up comedy and we know he had told other people that he was doing this when he goes in to talk to his boss after he gets in trouble for the sign not being returned to that business for going out of business his boss asks him so how's your stand up career you a famous stand up comic yet we know that if you talk to a we talked to him and talked to the boss about that. He's definitely brought it up to his therapist. Who's right. Who's trying to bring, you know, trying to dig deep into his life, figure out who who this guy is. And she doesn't remember him saying she's probably thinking about, she's not making enough money. We know she's not making enough money. They're cutting off funding for her. We know that when she's probably talking to uh, Arthur Fleck here, she's probably talking, thinking about like how she's going to make the next mortgage payment or how she's going to, you know, like uh, the, the water might get shut off. 
You know, yeah. she she's not fucking thinking about like this guy and his problems. She's got her own fucking problems. And that's and and that's a lot of of uh what this movie is talking about, especially like um with the rich people having so so many things at their at their disposal and then all the you know, like the one percenters in, in Gotham are just living and uh, sucking off the fat tit of uh, you know <laughs> Wall Street, yeah, but, and but again, man, like you know, like she's she's in a position to to help people. She you know she's you know as her job goes, she's there to help people. But because she is, you know, like I, I got that vibe as well, man. That she was probably struggling. Yeah, and funding gets cut, and she's obviously thinking about, well, what the fuck am I going to do now? Where's my next paycheck coming from? So even though she was trying to do good. Or seem to be trying to do good, like the fact that she was, uh, I want to, I'm just going to say selfish because she wasn't really paying attention to him. You know, that made her in a good line of work, but also, you know, she's just a person. She's flawed as well. And very similar with, I mean, I know you were saying, you know, but he's begging for help. He is literally begging for help. He's like, I, he's like, I come here every week. And and he's and and after he gets done with her his whole speech of how she doesn't listen and all this stuff, then she just goes into how they're cutting off funding. She doesn't. She's she. she it, it's it's not she even a, about herself again. Again, yes. Yeah. Fucking terrible. Yeah. But what I was going to say about the whole one percent thing as well. Yes, Thomas Wayne is kind of and those sort of those those fat cats that kind of made out to be. A, you know, a, a bit of a, a bit of an enemy. Yeah. But but he's also like, uh, you know, like wants to be mayor and he wants to clean up the town. So he has good intentions as well. But what he does is also fucking up the city at the same time. So, and that's that's why again I, I just find it so interesting. It doesn't seem to be any kind of a hero in this. Sure. Obviously, except for Bruce at the further on down the line. But. I'm not taking sides with anybody in this fucking no. movie. Don't, don't even no. get me wrong here. I'm just, I, you know, I think, I, I think it's a interesting discussion. You know, there, there's a lot of people that are in, in uh, you know, in power that have money and, and donate to charities and, and really do a lot of good in this world. So I'm not yeah, saying 100%. that this is just a, this is a fucking movie, people. Yeah. It's, a, it's a joking movie. <laughs> <laughs> if it does ask interesting questions, yeah. just like sure we were saying does. earlier, you know, there's lots of like, um, healthcare professionals, which are fantastic at their job. You yeah. know, I've met several of them on my own time. I've also had some bad ones. So, but it, again, it's just, it treats people like, individuals like no right. one in this yeah. story is a kind of cookie cutter stereotype not that i noticed maybe like his boss from the clown service a little bit he was a bit of a, a cunt like from start to finish why yeah why didn't we get that scene dan i kept thinking like the second time that i was watching the movie i was like why didn't we get the scene of him fucking killing that guy you know I, like maybe he was, he was way jerkier yeah, he was the worst. Yeah. <laughs> that guy uh, was so bad. And uh, Randall was a complete piece of shit as well. But, yeah. but, you know, aside from that, like, basically everyone had, like, pluses and minuses to their personality, just like people do in real life. And it was refreshing, man, not seeing, you know, like, stereotypes or fucking, you know, cookie-cutter characters, like the, the definite good, the definite bad, yeah. and then bashing heads. Like, it's, man, this film is just, it's it's the next step. I think for superhero films is to take the superhero out of it. We can still have, you know, powers and, you know, great special effects and all that sort of stuff. 
but day you know, day one, like one oh one for film, is like story and directing and lighting and music and acting. You know, it makes make you, a film before yeah. you make a superhero. Film. It makes you wonder, like, was this the kind of thing that? That uh, Noah Hawley was going to do with that Doctor Doom movie that scared oh, the shit out of Marvel. I expected this kind of flavor. Yeah, just don't. The fact that that's not happening anymore is uh, is horrible. That's well, his happening. his new movie is not lighting the world on fire. I, I love Noah Hawley. I love I, Legion's great. Fargo's great. But Lucy in the Sky, I'm hearing, is like not uh, a fantastic film. But like, I would still love to see. I would love to be in the Fringe universe. And be able to watch the Noah Hawley Doctor Doom movie. Don't yeah, get me wrong. Exactly. I have a question. Do you, do you guys think uh, Dennis is that the, the one he kills at the apartment? Uh, Randall. Randall. Um, excuse me. Do you think Randall gave him the gun as a genuine, helpful gesture? Because it did feel that way. I mean, and I think that goes to say like what you were talking about, Dan. About it was very interesting how layered and nuanced the characters were as far as their their shades of gray. Because I do a think. Really good point. Yeah, uh, no, I, I think I honestly think that you are right. That is something that he did do, which was a nice thing. But then, of course, as soon as he got into trouble about it, then we flip back to those selfish issues of people lying and not telling the truth and saving their own asses. And he's just saying like, "Well, he bought a gun off of me," and blah 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 blah. So yeah, it's just it's like that and almost, one turn, and then he fucked it all up. I almost feel sympathy for, for Randall in that situation, too, because I, I don't think he's in his head thinking, well, he's going to bring this gun to a, a children's hospital and then drop <laughs> it in a room full of children. Which was one of the funniest scenes in the entire film. His reaction to that gun. <laughs> oh, man, I nearly burst a blood vessel in my eye. I love so fucking hard I was like, that. This, is, brain this is like the R-rated version of Patch Adams. <laughs> yeah, for reals. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, just, I was, was waiting for him to like kick it under a table yeah. or something the way he reacted to it. Real, yeah. real quick side note, I have met the real Patch Adams. Oh, so, I know you have. Yeah, I brought it up <laughs> on an episode before. So, yeah, but yeah, met the real Patch Adams. Um Jake, that's a great question, man. That's one that uh as far as Randall's concerned, I feel like I I feel like there was a little bit of uh pity for Arthur there, and it was like, hey, man, you might need this, like, you know. Protect yourself. Yeah. It's a raw, raw world out there. Exactly. You know? I, I don't think he was doing that for terrible intentions. I don't either, but, like, once, you know, Arthur kind of fucked everything up, he wanted to save his own ass and cover his own ass before anything came out. That's because, and that leads to, he didn't know how, if Arthur was going to throw his name out there. And, and that leads back to like the apartment scene where, you know, him and Gary show up. It's Gary, correct? Yes. Him and Gary show up to the apartment with the champagne. And, um, they're basically saying, uh, uh, Randall's saying, I wanted to come here and find out like what you told the detectives because I want to make sure, you know, he's covering his own ass there. He yeah. wants he wants to he's, find yeah he he's scared probably too you know I mean he's definitely connected to that gun he he possibly has ideas that Arthur mm-hmm. could be the one that did this yeah 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 I think he definitely thinks that Arthur is up to something well yeah I mean that that that, that and that's one of the things like the detectives are you know. Of course, that's where they would go. They you know they they find out that the suspect is dressed like a clown. 
from the eyewitness on the subway, which is that woman. You know, the yeah. guy's, that woman, you know, steps, <laughs> steps up and, you know, says that, you know, there was another guy on the train and, uh, you know, he was dressed like a clown. And so, of course, they're going to go around and, you know, I'm sure they're going to check and see, like, you know, who, who would be dressed like a clown? You know, it's late at night. Maybe you're getting off work. Who the fuck is going to be dressed like a clown? And, of course, it's going to lead them to that business and, like, what they do. And so, yeah, they, they, I think all the guys were kind of feeling the heat there. It was funny when Gary said that he wasn't interviewed and they were like, well, yeah, it was a normal sized guy. Like if it was a little person, if it was a little person, then you'd be in fucking jail right now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They wouldn't even like, sorry, Jen. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, again, it, like there are very, very funny moments in this film, and it is that whole, you know, like that classical, like the theater masks, you know, like the tragedy and the comedy coming together in like mm-hmm. you know the, the theater symbols. That's what this movie is, man. It is, it is just like entertainment from hundreds of years back. Like it's fucking depressing as shit in some bits but then yeah. the next moment you're laughing at him dropping a gun like you know in a kid's cancer ward it's just it's so fucked up but it is it's oh god i love that it. when <laughs> when when he's giving you know and here's another thing that i it made me think this one of the things that i was when me and jake were talking on previous episodes about you know this and our after we saw the first trailer, I was just like, you get the feeling from this. I told Jake, like, you get the feeling from this first trailer of you don't know what he's thinking. You don't know what he could do at any moment. Yep. I was I was talking about, like, they showed, showed the scene of him dancing with his mother. And, like, you don't know if he's, like dancing her to her death in that scene you also see the scene of him like in the in the tub she's in the tub and you're like is he gonna drown her in the tub and like there's there's this really looming kind of feeling that you have watching that first trailer when it first came out like you never know this is the joker you never and it's already you never know when he's gonna snap and then as we're watching this movie, we see him smother her with the pillow, and I'm like, oh, my God, it's fucking happening. Mm-hmm. This guy is a fucking lunatic. Like, like, and, and, and that's, that's another thing that this movie got right for me, and I, I wanted to have that fear the whole time of, like, you don't know how this guy's going to react the, t- the entire time. Joaquin even said, you know, he doesn't want anybody to really be able to relate to this character in interviews. I watched him on, I, I have the DC Universe app, and he's, in an interview with the people over at uh, over at DC Universe, and he's talking, and, and you th- you think about Joaquin Phoenix, and you think about like this guy is like he's an actor, you know, like he's a he's a true fucking actor. Like when you think of like you know method actors, and you think of you know Daniel Day Lewis, you you know you're thinking you're at Joaquin Phoenix, like you're thinking the you know these guys that are just like you know masters in their craft, and he's talking about like how he would come onto set and how he would fuck things up. And I'm just like, what? Like you, like you think like this guy would get it right on the first take every time. Like this guy is just, you know, just a master. And it was just kind of cool, kind of hum- like, you know, very humbling to hear him talk about himself in this way. Like, you know, yeah, he would come in there and fuck up. But he would also say that some of the fuck ups would actually lead to stuff that they would keep in the movie. And that makes sense with a character that's so chaotic 
that, you know, some of the things that he would kind of fuck up in this movie, they, they kind of left them in because it just kind of fit with the character. I don't know where I'm going with all this, but I just love, I love this movie. No, no I, I thought that was really cool. I, yeah. Yeah, I, I read in an interview with um, Phillips that sometimes he would just um, Phoenix would just leave the set for forty five minutes to an hour and a half and just decompressively just yeah just leave the set and they just kind of allowed for that. And you gotta kind of be able to when he came back. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, gotta. I be would able say to. that this is like his performance is probably. I'd struggle to think of someone that has played a more creepy character where, like you were saying, Bry that he just you don't know what the hell he's going to do and the fact that 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 weird like looming sense of fear mm-hmm. watching him interact with all of these people i mean it's different in the comedic scenes yeah. like at the hospitals and when he's on the street but like when he's with his mum when he's with um uh, zazzy when he's with bruce you know thomas like you, all these characters that he interacts with you don't know if he's just going to fucking snap and do something terrible because we've already seen him do it. So it just it just lends to this like foreboding dread when he's ever, when he's near people. It's it's brilliant. I also saw an interview with him saying that he really enjoyed uh, being on set because uh, he, he had like a lot of kind of collaboration with some of the people that were there. And do you know the scene that we were talking about earlier where he's like dancing with the gun and then it fucking goes off. That was the last take that they did. And apparently, I think he said it was the prop master. He, they were like, oh, what can we do to kind of, you know, change this up a bit? And the prop guy said, well, you've got your gun in the story. Mm-hmm. So you can use the gun in this scene. And that last that last take that he did with the gun was the one that they used. Wow. And he, he was saying how much he enjoyed that kind of the collaborative thing with the with the cast and the crew. People understanding the character and throwing at, throwing ideas at him. And then he could play with that on screen. So that was pretty dope. Very cool. And yeah, that's very humble of him, too. You don't hear a, a lot of method actors you think you know they don't want to listen to other people tell them how to do the thing yeah that's very interesting and humble of him to take all those different opinions from all those different people on set and kind of pick and use what will and won't work and just kind of try it out you know can i say this real quick um mark maron was in this movie for three minutes yeah he he, i I follow him on twitter um And he's talked a lot about that. He, and I think on the podcast, he even brought it up. He, he just wanted to be in one scene with De Niro. Sure. And that's, and that's all he wanted. I love him. And, I, yeah. I, I like, I like it. I, I'm a big fan of, I do, I'm just, I'm just, I'm stating the obvious. I'm not going to Oh, yeah, I was, I was waiting for it too. And yeah. because I, I knew the history, I knew it'd be like a Murray scene. So I'm like, when is he going to show up in one of these Murray scenes? I want to see what Marin's going to do, you know? And yeah. He really didn't do much. Brian Tyree Henry. For as limited as he was in this movie, fucking his facial expressions when he realizes, like, I'm talking to someone who's not in their right mind. Oh, he was fucking on point. Right? Oh, my. So good. Oh, my. I'm seriously like. Uh, if if you could give a supporting actor to a guy that was in a movie for 30 seconds uh, and played Carl the Arkham administration employee, I would do it for Brian Tyree Henry. I, I, this guy's a great actor. Don't get me wrong. And I'm a, he, typically, you know, he's got a bigger roles in movies. 
Um, I love him in Atlanta. I even, you know, I wasn't a big fan of the Child's Play remake, but he was fantastic in it. Um, you know, this, this, this Brian Tyree Henry's just great. And dude, he fucking like, there's, there's, a, there's a moment when you're watching his face in that scene, Dan, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh yeah. Where like he really, like he realizes like, yeah, this guy, like you're looking, like you see his face, then they go, then they go to Joaquin Phoenix. And he realizes, like, this is that guy's son. Uh, this is that woman's son. This guy goes is from not... sympathetic to what the fuck, like yeah. turning a key. Like, um, I'm pulling back on these documents. This is not safe material for you to read. And he even says, basically, you can, yeah, parental discretion is advised. Bring your mother back. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> you know, I can release these if, if I have your mom sign out on them. But yeah. And, and th- then that scene, uh, that was just an incredible fucking scene in my yeah, opinion. It was, it was, I mean, it was, goes back to what Laura was saying. A lot of the, like the cast is they're kind of interchangeable this is this is Joaquin's movie this is you know he is just a tour de force and he's so damn good but you know <laughs> like <laughs> like Brian Terry Henry just fucking killed this role yeah. and I would say I mean it, I would obviously I wanted De Niro I would always want De Niro was Murray because of his link to the King of Comedy and Taxi Driver. I think that was amazing casting. It was really good having that sort of, you know, link Agreed. to their past materials. But yeah, him as the clerk, it was just like, he was so natural that it just felt like this normal everyday interaction with this normal dude just doing his thing and then this nut bar comes along and it just takes well, him a yeah. little bit of time and he treats him really decently as yeah, well you yeah. know even the guy even though the guy is very strange he's just treating him like a normal human being and being incredibly kind and helping him out and then he reads the fucking documentation and yeah like you said it's just that look and then yeah. as soon as as soon as fleck realizes he like tries to snatch the, the file away from him and they have that little two like two or throw of the file and then he headbutts the cage and then Tari lets it go it's can, just, oh so good can i just point out real quick that if you take arthur fleck I've said this on previous episodes. If you take his first name and you take the initial A and then Flack, it's Affleck. It, was that intentional? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, it, it very well. I wouldn't be surprised if it if it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> hey, Laura, Laura, yeah. interchange <laughs> interchangeable actors. Who who would you put in the role of Carl? If you had to replace Brian Tyree Henry, who would you who who would you throw in there? Since uh, since it, since it's so interchangeable. <laughs> now I'm putting you now I'm putting you on the spot. Uh, oh man, I don't know. <laughs> the the correct answer is nobody. Brian Tyree nobody. Henry was perfect as Carl. <laughs> like you can't. Yeah, like. It, Nobody was interchangeable there. I totally understand what you're saying. I think like anybody else. I do like else, Robert De Niro, though. I do like. Yeah. I, I like him in anything, so. Absolutely, yeah. No, I totally get what you're saying about it. Anybody could have played like Zazie Beetz character. They could have had, for all, they could have had fucking like Zoe Dashanel in there. I don't know. You know what I mean? It, <laughs> it, it don't matter. Like whoever's in that fucking role, it don't matter. So, um, I, this, I'm telling you, this is a movie like 
I um I can't wait to watch it again. I can't wait to own this one. This is uh Dan, is is it is it a masterpiece in your opinion? Like is this something that like is gonna hold up over the next decade? Uh- Let's talk Oscars. Let's talk Oscars. Is this happening? Like, are we talking, like, are we talking nominations? Are we talking Best Picture nom? Are we talking, are we talking Best Actor nominations? Because I I think so. I reckon, I reckon score more than likely because it was so odd and uh, just fit the film perfectly. Come on. No, come on. I don't, let's not be safe with this fucking shit. Let's, Fuck the score. Phoenix is, Phoenix is getting the nod. Phoenix, Definitely. come on. I reckon he'll get nominated, but I don't think he'll win. So, so it, it comes down, okay, so it's gonna come down to Phoenix and it's gonna come down to Tom Hanks. At the, I'm telling you, at the end of the day, it's gonna come down to Phoenix and Tom Hanks for this Mr. Rogers movie. That, I'm telling you, that's what it's gonna come down to. So you're saying Tom Probably. Hanks, so you're saying Tom Hanks takes it. Uh, either Hanks or someone else. I don't think that they will give an Oscar to a, a role that is like as kind of divisive as this. It's fucking. Um, yeah, it's it's. it's it, I, I think, but it's but, artistry. I know, I know it is. I know. I totally yeah. agree as well. Mm-hmm. And I think he absolutely smashed it out of the park. He did an incredible job. You can't take your eyes off of him throughout the entire film. You don't know what the hell he's gonna do, and it's just it's all pure acting and just being an absolutely incredible phoenix he's an oscar darling he's an and i mean i think that warner brothers is gonna they're gonna play the game they're gonna play the game they're gonna push him i hope so i honestly i mean hanhal i really hope that he gets it but i also know that tom hanks is gonna be up there too i think it's i think at the end of the day it's gonna come down to tom hanks and Joaquin Phoenix. I know that people are raving about this Tom Hanks, Mr. Rogers performance. I think it's, it's crazy because you got like the most lovable guy ever. Like, you know what I mean? You got one guy who's like a really lovable guy playing the most lovable guy ever. And then you got Joaquin Phoenix, who's just a fantastic actor who can really go dark in his performances. And here he is playing one of the darkest characters ever. Um, and so I think it's going to come down to like good, good versus versus evil evil. (laughs) at the end of the day in the Oscars. To be honest, dude, if if Tom Hanks, you know, puts on a better performance, obviously he deserves it. But if his performance isn't as good as Joaquin in this and Joaquin doesn't get it, then I, I would say that shows a lot more about the Academy than what we thought, because it is, you know that that with that that kind of you know that that bias of like superhero movies aren't shit whatever it, it, like i said this isn't a superhero movie this Hell is no. a character piece this yeah. is yeah yeah i, I mean it, it's i'm oh, sorry oh. go away. go ahead laura you go <laughs> i um i think if natalie portman can win for black swan i think he could totally win. It, for d- this. it depends on who he's going up against, though. Like any, yeah, g- any given, any like any given year, so anybody can win. It just depends on who you're going up against that year. You know what I mean? Like it. And Tom Hanks is gold. Yeah, I thought this was a better performance than Heath Ledger, and Heath Ledger won, and that's a way more of a comic book yeah, type but of movie. That than was, was, and I get that it. was posthumous. Yeah. Behind it, yeah, yeah. Whether or not he would have won. Had he remained alive is definitely a debate to be had. 
Yeah. You know, yeah. It could have very much been kind of an honorary. Oh, thing I still think he it. deserved it, in my opinion. Oh, I, I do too. Yeah. I do too. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not. But, you know, you know how the Academy is. Sure. Even that, that far back, it, it very much just could have been the politics of it all. Absolutely. So, yeah, I definitely think he deserves it. I strongly think he deserves it. I agree with all of you there. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the what the nominees are. I think Tom it, Hanks is such a darling. I can't say too. that I well right now I haven't seen the Tom Hanks movie. So I I I 100% think that Joaquin should be nominated at this point from like, you know, the movies that I've seen this year. I do think that he should be nominated. Um, I'm going to have to watch this uh, Tom Hanks movie. God, Jared Leto's Joker looks like a giant sack of shit now, even more, right? <laughs> and what's fucked up is that yes, yes, he does. Here's the thing: Jared Leto, Academy Award winner, Academy yeah. Award winner, Dallas Buyers Club. Jared Leto, in my opinion, fantastic actor. Like, he, I think he's a great actor. I just think that like that portrayal of the Joker is not the Joker that I wanted him to play. I wanted him to play kind of like the more kind of like classy dapper looking joker as opposed to fucking juggalo joker that we got but that's another story altogether so yeah well, I mean, he said that um him and margot robbie felt like you know what they were filming was going to be a lot yeah. different than what came out yeah yeah i'm sure they did i would like, say i would say that too totally different i would say that too after that movie came <laughs> Out, Laura. <laughs> That's fucking hilarious. <laughs> so, yeah, I again. I got a question. Yeah, we take a bathroom break. <laughs> wow, Jake, thank you, thank you so much for that. <laughs> Woo, man, J- Jake, just bringing it this episode. You know, you know it. Here woo, we woo, woo. Yeah, here we. <laughs> thank you so much. You know, I was I was actually getting ready for like something like that was uh, a real question that was kind of just change the trajectory of this episode and make it an amazing, an amazing episode for people to listen to. And uh, it's it all comes down to you just uh, emptying your fucking bladder. Uh, yeah, I've got a different trajectory that I'm concerned about at the moment. Yeah, just <laughs> fucking don't hit the toilet seat. Jesus Christ. Yeah, we'll take Jake. You can go pee. We'll be right back. Yes. Holly Quinn, pleased to meet ya. You're listening to Pop Culture Leftovers. So head over to popcultureleftovers.com and click on comic books where they have a comic book locator. There you can find the nearest comic book shop in your area. You can also see what new comic books are on shelves right now. If you don't have a shop near you, just click on the link for Things from Another World on the front page of the site. At tfaw.com, you can set up a poll list to have your comic books shipped to you monthly. They also sell figures, statues, and a ton of other really cool shit. But you gotta click the link through the site to help the show. That's popcultureleftovers.com. You got that, Puddin'? I swear I feel like I have to tell you guys everything. It's a wonder you can wipe your own asses. Anyway, I gotta go. I think I hear Mr. J. All right. Hey, we are back. Jake, how was, uh, how was the trip to the restroom? I feel like, did you have as much satisfaction unloading your bladder as the Joker did unloading the chambers of that pistol on Robert De Niro? 
it was it was a low taste. It. <laughs> it could have been better. I've had better pisses. I have had. Yeah, I've had some. I've had some pisses that are better than orgasms. To be quite honest with you, just like you, yeah. like, you've you've held on. <laughs> I'm being one hundred percent serious. I, 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 I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't. That no. Uh, yeah, I, maybe it, maybe in those moments where they were bad, maybe I did have a case of the old whiskey dick, Dan. But you know, I oh yeah, I'm so. I'm gonna put a little bit of blame. On the other, on the other. (laughs) (laughs) You've never heard whiskey dick? (laughs) No, but funnily enough, I know exactly what you mean. (laughs) Oh, welcome, welcome to America, Dan. (laughs) Classic phrase over here. (laughs) Jack off Daniels. The old whiskey dick. Um, yeah. So yeah, we, we let's talk about the uh, the final kind of like climactic scene in uh, Joker, Todd Phillips' Joker. This is, um, I mean, well, there's a couple of uh, scenes to be quite honest with you. Um, he, of course, is on television, kills Murray. And then these riots break out across Gotham City. And um, we talked earlier, just kind of briefly briefly touched on this. One of the rioters uh, goes after the Wayne family. And then we get our classic, uh, you know, Wayne family killing. Uh, we get the, you know, down to like, you know, the pearls being snapped off of her neck and and uh, yeah. being scattered across the alley here. Um is this stuff that like did you feel like did this stuff bring you back down to I don't know did it bring you back down to reality that this is just a that this is set in the Batman world cuz I I felt like we're getting a like a, a different Joker story here but then there were these moments of like you know like him showing up to Wayne Manor and uh you know having the interaction with uh the worst Alfred I've ever seen on screen. And then, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, hodgepodge. And then, and, 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 you know, Oh God, what an uncomfortable scene of him putting his fingers in Bruce's mouth. Terrifying. Oh God. Oh my. Oh my God. What? (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I didn't know. At first I didn't care for the very end stuff. Like the second I saw the, theater marquee with Zora the Gay Blade on it. I knew exactly what was going on. And I was like, oh, I can't believe this. you got to be kidding me. And I've kind of grown to accept it the more removed from the movie I've gotten. I don't know if this is going to sound weird, but just the simple act of them putting a the end font at the end of the movie kind of made me come to better terms with them going ahead and making these kind of connection decisions. You know, I I kind of like that. You know, they're, they're not going to make people there's no question mark there's no you know the casuals are going to know this is a one and done story and it makes me it made me come to terms with them tying so much into the wayne stuff down to the murder of the family yeah. was that the thing that you were saying on break yeah you didn't like? yeah I, I did on impact 
because it was it was shocking that it was going to happen, and I, I like knew it was going to happen before it happened, just because they did so much of the iconic imagery leading up to the actual murder. Yeah, yeah. And I I just didn't know if I was comfortable with it at first, and like even as the ending credits were rolling, I was kind of coming to better terms with that. Yeah, I mean, for me, the the end of the film starts off after um, he kills Randall in the apartment and lets Gary go, and he puts on the makeup. From that point on, uh, that like last sort of 25 minutes, half an hour, that's the end of the film for me. That's like him finally basically becoming the Joker and accepting himself for who he has ended up that ended up being and then you know we get the scene that lots of us love which is them dancing down the stairs oh my god they're playing they're playing very glitter they're playing that song i don't even know what that song is like that they play at all the sporting events you know and it's you know what's that rock and roll rock and roll part two it's called okay i was just like oh my god yeah i was like oh my god i can't believe that they're playing this and how it kind of is working so well in this scene it was i'm very surprised they chose that i am too i was too at first i didn't like it but the second time I saw it and then like how it transitions oh, into that more, you know, uh, kind of like slow kind of softer music. I was just like, that's genius. I just wanted to start saying like, and coming in at five foot 10 from Arkham Asylum. <laughs> Arthur Fleck, you know him as the Joker. <laughs> 90 pounds sucking wet. Point guard for the Gotham Knights, Arthur Flack. Yeah, I just, I, you know, I want to, I, like, I want to, I want a Joker jersey now. You know what I mean? That would be awesome. Oh my I, God. I can't help but think that this will be one of the most manipulated scenes of the movie once people can get their hands on oh, being able to add whatever music. Oh, I've already seen. Scene. Well, music too. I've already seen a Guardians of the Galaxy mashup that I posted on Twitter. Somebody, I've, oh, yeah. I've already seen uh, Joker doing the hand shuffle and the 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 pelvic thrust on the stairs, along with Tobey Maguire Spider Man Three doing the dance right next to each other as a GIF. That's oh, <laughs> amazing. God. It's amazing. It's amazing. Spider-Man 3 dance, man. Time has told the tale. It's it's famous at this point. I kept thinking, like, we got the scene of, like, uh, you know, the, the ambulance crashes into the police car, and we see the guys pull, you know, his body, Arthur's body, out of the police car wreckage, lay him on the car, and uh, somebody's, like, holding up a chair. I kept thinking, like, to myself, are they going to put him in the chair and then, like, carry him you know, through the streets is like a like a, a Jewish wedding. <laughs> yeah, it was like a wicker chair, right? I wasn't. Yeah, I, I was like, why? Why? Because I, I got that. First off, like, why are they carrying the chair? Like, a wicker chair? Like, I can understand if you're like carrying something that could actually cause damage to something, but it's like it's like a wicker chair, you know? <laughs> so I, not, I didn't look good, right? Yeah. So I was like, what? <laughs> These, yeah, these are first-time rioters. Like, they're not. These, these are definitely. This is not. We're not in Compton. You know what I mean? Like this. 
That's funny. <laughs> we, you know, these are first time rioters. They don't know what they're doing. They're, you know, so I was like, I was thinking like, it's so easy to grab flat, flat screen TVs. And right. TVs you know? <laughs> exactly. So I was like, why, what, what's going, what's going on here with this wicker chair? And I kept thinking like, when are they going to sit him down in this thing and carry him off on this, uh, on this wicker chair? Like he I'm just, glad they didn't. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I I was waiting for him to fall back and crowd surf. I was, you know, all these things that I'm waiting for <laughs> to happen never happened. But uh, I loved the the different poses that he would give. You know, just like it was. I don't know. It was. It was. It was very. Um. um you know. You. It, it. It all goes back to like his uh, clowning days where like he, he they knew him as the dancing clown and um it, just, it was I it don't was know. very vaudeville yeah, yes thank you thank you very even much like so. you know in the beginning with the piano and stuff yeah yeah so even though he didn't want to be a symbol of uh anarchy he he turned into a symbol of uh of anarchy and overthrowing you know um uh, the government and, uh, and, uh, and all this stuff. It was, uh, just a, just a, God, this is just a, I, this is just, I have never seen anything like this as far as a comic <laughs> book movie, Dan. I know, it's insane. And I don't know what I can say, man, like that last 25 minutes, half an hour, it just ramps the yeah. fuck up. Like that, oh, that last sort of, like the third act, I suppose you'd call it, is just like, he's got the stairs, then he's running away from the cops that are chasing him. And then the cops get beat up by the rioters, is that right? That's how they get stopped. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so they get taken out, and he makes his way to the studio. And then we get the scene of him sort of smoking the cigarette with the curtain backdrop, and then he just pulls that weird pose, yeah. the curtains open, and then, then we get the shot of, you know, what they see through the cameras. And then from there i was like oh shit like he's gone full joker and he comes out does the little dance and the spin says hi to murray and then he plants a massive kiss on that like that old lady doctor's face oh that was hilarious was it dr dr Susie? it was dr sally (laughs) oh my god oh my god that poor woman (laughs) That was so funny. And, the, and by the uh, time, by the time he sh- fucking unloads that gun into, you know, uh, Murray Franklin, she is just, uh, got her head buried into the, uh, the Ed McMahon type guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. She was yeah. terrified the entire yeah, time. Yeah. She's not having a good, a good time as the, uh, first toast or the first guest on that episode. No. No. We get the obviously we get like the backwards and forwards as well between between Fleck and Murray and I, I really enjoyed that you know that conversation like he's essentially just screaming out like what he believes like you were saying earlier Brian about you know the comedy subjective and that what he finds funny doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to find it funny and then of course it gets really heated and he starts talking about how there are people that are just left behind. And then he does the knock knock joke, which ends slightly differently as to what oh, we, what he was planning. Oh my and god! That, yeah, that shot, like you were saying, with that first shot on the train, that shot in in that moment is just—it was so loud. 
it just it sucked all the air out of the cinema that I was in and everyone was just like blown away at what they just saw and then he goes up to the camera and he doesn't quite get to finish like what he was saying you know they cut the transmission and then we see later on that he gets rushed by cops before they sort of take him outside but um yeah then we get like the ambulance and I mean when he kind of comes to after the Waynes get killed and that creepy fucking thing where he pulls the blood from his mouth up mm-hmm. the sides of his face. And at that moment, when he's surrounded by all of the rioters and everyone's cheering for him, and he's got his arms up in the air, and we get that, that really nice shot where he's standing on the car. I think that that's the moment that he's actually become the Joker. Oh, from oh, that bit. 100%. Mm-hmm. And he understands the... He understands... <laughs> Here's the fucked up thing. He understands his audience. He understands the divide because we get the scene of him in Arkham at the end. The psychiatrist asks him to tell her, you know, this joke. And he tells her that twice he he, he says that she would not understand. Yeah, she wouldn't get it. Yeah. And (laughs) and he knows now, like he knows his audience just like any, any comic knows the but, I mean, audience yeah. like he's he's flashing back to bruce standing over his dead parents mm-hmm. and is laughing and she's like what's so funny and he just says you wouldn't you wouldn't get it and like that's his humor he's like destroyed the life of this kid by taking out you know thomas wayne but like surreptitiously you know he inspired people to do it he found it hilarious and then you know we get that Scene of him walking down the corridor, skipping down the corridor with fucking blood all over his shoes. I know. And then we that, get the chase. That lady's dead. We get the, yeah, that lady's <laughs> dead. And then we get the chase scene. And I just want to insert like the Benny Hill music. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Perfect. Yeah. Here's the that thing. It's like ending. the fact that here's the thing. Like the Joker says comedy subjective in this movie. The fact that. I'd say all four of us liked the movie. Jake gave it a high taste, it, which doesn't mean that he hated the movie. You still enjoyed the oh, movie. I liked it very much. Very yeah. much. And here's the thing. The fact that we like this movie, what, what, what's, what's so divisive about this movie is the fact that we liked it is going to piss some people off, guys. That's crazy. <laughs> and, and, and we're, hold on. We're going to, we're going to. We're going to be bad people for liking this movie. It's, it's not, it, we, I, I, here's the thing. You will never read an article about Jake, Dan, Laura, or myself doing any of the acts that were ever committed in this movie, but we can appreciate what we saw in this movie, the art, the acting, the direction, the bold decisions that were made for a comic book film. And we can appreciate those things, and I don't feel that we should be uh, um, chastised or looked down upon uh, for appreciating art um, in in this manner. I, I I I would never do any of the things that this character does in this movie. Let alone, I, it's weird that we live in a day now where, of course, uh, and, and uh, look at the uh, look at the um, uh, the controversy. I think there's more controversy surrounding this movie, uh, people enjoying this movie than there was the, um, uh, the Ted Bundy, the Ted Bundy stuff coming out on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, yeah. but people don't, uh, man. And that was a real guy. <laughs> yeah, but like people don't like like chastise people for liking or I say liking. Yeah. Nobody fucking um. Well, some people like the character in Taxi Driver, but, but nobody that appreciates the movie Taxi Driver or Apocalypse Now or yeah, any yeah. of like the great movies of all time that do have this horrific violence in. Those films, or Quentin Tarantino's catalog, you know, no one Clock, says, Clockwork Orange. Clockwork Orange. Natural Born Killers. Yeah, yes. Exactly. You know, no one shits on people for realizing that those films are great pieces of art. You know, no one does that. It's just now that people are doing that. Hi, like, the, welcome to 2019, where everything <laughs> is shit on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, I do remember it being um, a little bit of a stir when Natural Born Killers came out the glorification of the serial killer and the accusations that were being thrown around when that movie came out. You know, I mean, me, you brought that one up. I didn't. (laughs) What? You brought that film up. I didn't. Oh no, I'm talking. uh, I guess we're talking about two different things then. Um, I just mean that it's always been going on. Like the, the, the media has always put blame on television and movies for, you know, people doing dumb things is what I'm saying. Well, this isn't a new occurrence with the Joker movie. Natural born killers uh, in its defense. uh, Woody Harrelson has come out and you know, well, when that movie is coming out, like we learned about the mental issues that his father had. Do you, do you remember that? I I do. I do. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I don't know. I, I, I think there's, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I love this movie and I don't feel like I have to, I have to defend that opinion. I, I thought this movie was fantastic uh, and, and an incredible piece of art, an incredible performance, incredible direction, uh, incredible soundtrack, like you've mentioned, Dan. And, um, I, uh, this is one that, uh, I will watch, uh, uh, for many years. And, and, um, you know, I will always have like these questions, like you know what, you know, uh, Thomas Wayne was he, uh, you know, what was going on with him and Penny, and uh, you know, it's uh, it's this is this is an achievement for comic book movies, and I think like people need to take notice that you don't have to just do. I for as much as I love the Marvel stuff, I really do. I think that the, there's 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 other ways to go about and do these movies with characters that we've had for you know God we've had Batman and Joker for eighty plus years now so there's there's always ways to reinvent these stories always different ways to tell these stories you know so I you know Frank Miller Alan Moore these guys have proved it uh, Todd Phillips has now proved it Joaquin Phoenix has now definitely proved it this is. Um, you know, even Logan, especially with as many, go ahead, Jake. Especially with as many comic book movies as we're subjected to on a yearly basis, yes. it just makes absolutely no sense for every studio and every character to run by the same formula of making a comic book movie. Like I, I completely agree. Like, Don't get me that. wrong, man. I'm still Jake. I, I'm still going to be fucking going to the theater and watching the Eternals and probably loving that movie. Oh I'm, yeah, yeah. I don't get yeah, I, yeah. I still love fucking Guardians 2 more than this. I mean, it's all personal preference at the end of the day, you know. It, it's it's what you like and, and what is your bag. It, it's fine, you know. 
but there's room for everything. So, yeah, you know, this is the 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 jello of movies. There's always room. <laughs> there's always room for Joker. Well, I think also if you are really into psychology, this is definitely like yeah. up your alley. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Or just or just film in general. If right. Study film, you can watch this and analyze the living shit out of it. You could write a paper on this movie, no problem. Or you could it's just watch it and get angry, right? Exactly. <laughs> and then you can, the other. and then you and then you could tweet about it, you badass. I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to tweet about it because I'm a badass. I'm a social media badass with uh, with, a, with a Twitter account. One of, one, of the, my, one of the funniest things that I saw on Twitter was that when this film came out uh-huh. in the Venice Film Festival, uh, the Guardian newspaper gave it five out of five stars. They said it was daring and bold and brilliant and all these other like buzzwords. And then after all of the backlash on the internet... You know, after sort of people started talking about making the violence normalized and stuff, they then got someone else in their company to review it and they gave it a two star. So oh, wow. Like, well, let's conform. Even, yeah, you can't even yeah. trust, you can't trust these people, uh-huh. man. It's, it's fucking, it's mad. I just couldn't believe it when I saw that. Well, it I'm, just blew my mind. I'm grabbing my balls today. And I don't care what anybody says. I thought that this was an incredible movie, thought-provoking, disturbing as all fuck, disturbing as all get out. Don't get me wrong. It's disturbing, but it was just an incredible character piece about, you know, a character that, uh, that, um, that we've all kind of like grown up with over the years that, that we know that has these uh, these tendencies. That you know that you could write a story like this for for, for this character. You, it, this this story definitely exists for this character, and you've got a master of his craft. You got Joaquin Phoenix uh, portraying the character. I this is I'm glad this movie came out. I'm glad it exists, um, and I, I was happy. I was happy to watch it, and um, yeah. Let's talk about the box office for this one. Uh, this comes from Deadline. Warner Brothers Village Roadshow, bronze R-rated Joker from Todd Phillips is having no problems breaking October box office records after beating Venom's October preview record of 10 million with a 13.3 million haul. Joker is on its way to busting a new three-day high for the month of 92 million after a 39 million dollar opening day which includes those previews that's an opening day record for october besting halloween's 33 million if joker's three-day estimates remain serious it will mark the fourth highest opening for a r-rated pick of all time after fox's deadpool deadpool 2 and new line warner brothers it um basically to be determined how high this pick goes or recesses What's clear is that just because a comic book inspired movie is rated R doesn't mean it's bad business. Moviegoers are thirsting for and heading to grittier comic book movies. So yeah, this is, uh, regardless of like what your thoughts are on this movie and, uh, and, uh, everything that's coming out, it's performing well in the box office, that's for sure. 
some of the critics may not be able to get past that uncomfortable feeling it gives you, that disturbing feeling it gives you. Yeah. And that's why they, you know, they can't get past that feeling. Because not, you know, not every movie can achieve what this has. You know, sometimes if they try to make disturbing movies, it just comes off as just bizarre. I hope when I watch the... The Mr. Rogers Tom Hanks movie, like I don't know where he just starts stabbing somebody in the neck. <laughs> oh, then he's for sure getting the Oscar. Oh my god, that would that would be great. You know, he's in the the land of make believe, and like you know, what's the, what, the handyman? The handyman guy is there, and he just starts stabbing him. <laughs> Or like the the postal worker, Mister McFeely's gonna get it. Oh, Mister McFeely's gonna feel a fucking <laughs> knife in his that throat. That would be a great mashup, Joker and Mister Rogers. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> the crossover you never knew you wanted. Uh, well, uh, uh, me personally, I'm very very pleased this film is doing as well as it is, um, uh, and I just hope that it like spurns people to make more films like this and I'm really looking forward to seeing what Todd Phillips does next. Yeah. Because this is like oh, dude, God. Hangover hang, Hangover hang four, you. Dan. <laughs> yeah, more than likely. But seriously man, <laughs> this guy's got the chops. He knows he knows what he's doing. Yeah. And uh I I really want to see him um do something else like this. Something something serious, something gritty or, or anything. And just something which is cinema. The the that I know and love. Absolutely. It would be, be great to see that. Absolutely. Did you guys see the? Uh, I don't know what trailer. Before um, this movie started, I got some trailers when I watched it in uh, Dolby Atmos. Did you guys see the new um, Clint Eastwood directed film coming out? I did with uh, Sam Rockwell and yeah, uh, someone and else huge was in it. John Ham. Oh, there you go. There you go. Uh, and then the uh, I don't know the guy's name, but he's the guy from Itania, the portly gentleman from Itania. Um it's it's the Richard Jewell, it's based on the Atlanta bombings. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that looked really interesting. Oh god, it looks so good. We saw I, there was a weird experience where we got a Knives Out trailer for yeah. an upcoming Knives Out trailer. Yeah, I I got that too. And then I got the Knives Out trailer. Yeah, yeah. Stay tuned for another <laughs> Knives Out trailer. It actually said that. I, yeah. I, I, oh God, Jake, Knives Out is my, I think Knives Out is my most anticipated movie for the yeah, rest of the year. I don't I, it's, I, I, it's I'm ni- saying to someone else that it's in my top three. It's Knives Out and then I think it's the, it's the, uh, it's Knives Out, then it's the last, uh, the, the, the return of, uh, Skywalker. Is it, what's it called? The Rise of Skywalker? <laughs> the Rise yeah, of Skywalker. Rise of Skywalker. Okay, I've been yeah. drinking. The Rise of Skywalker, and then, uh, I think it's, uh, Terminator Dark Fate. I'll be honest with you. I, I'm a huge Terminator fan. If this is your first time listening, I love yeah. Terminator. I'm frozen to Star Wars Knives Out. Yeah, so I, I cannot wait for Knives Out. I've actually, Knives Out has like their own texting service, which they need to utilize more. I haven't got a Knives Out text since it's been a couple months. I'm trying to hold on. Let me see here. Yeah. Like how long has it been since I got a fucking Knives Out text? 
And if you want to text knives out, I'm going to get this information to you. Yeah, I'm going to, whatever. Yeah, here we go. Text, uh, it's, uh, you text 94200 and you text them the word whodunit, H-W-H-O-D-U-N-N-I-T. And then you're signed up for the Knives Out announcements. I haven't got anything from them since August 16th. What a letdown. Fuck up your bloody marketing, man. Thank you. Jesus. I'm like John Wick. John Wick. I signed up for like the John Wick three text announcements months ago. I'm still getting John Wick three shit. They're always sending me John Wick, John Wick three stuff. John Wick five will be out and you'll still be getting John Wick three text. But I'm knives (laughs) out. Like they have, they, they've sent me, they've sent me, um, two, two texts. And like one behind the scenes picture. It's really, it's a huge letdown because I was really looking forward to like some fun kind of like, you know, it's like a whole whodunit. Like what are they, what are they going to, yeah, they could give you some clues. Yes. Something like that. But like nothing, I get nothing from them guys. Let's, let's wrap this up here in a second, but I do want to talk about the birds of prey trailer. We're going to, you know, this is DC. This is a DC episode, DC centric. The Birds of Trey trailer, uh, the Birds of Trey, the, bird, the, birds of, <laughs> the Birds of Prey trailer came out. Uh, this is the new movie, uh, with, uh, Margot Robbie reprising her role as Harley Quinn and they're introducing the Birds of Prey. We've got Ewan McGregor in here as Black Mask. I want to know your thoughts on this trailer. Um, let me start with Dan. What, what did you think about this Birds of Prey trailer? Uh, I'm, I didn't like the trailer. I got to admit, man, it, uh, all the jokes kind of fell flat to me, except for throwing the dynamite out the car. That made me laugh. Yeah. But yeah, I just, it, I, I don't know. I just think they need someone else on the trailers because the, the timing seemed off and stuff. Uh, and I thought Marco Robbie was really, really good as Harley Quinn in Suicide Squad. And, um, uh, Christina Hudson, you know, she's a fantastic writer. So I just hope that what I'm seeing in the trailer isn't indicative of what's in the movie. And you know, that's happened plenty of times before we've watched trailers and we've gone, that looks like shit. And then mm-hmm. you see the film and it's brilliant and vice versa. So, you know, my, my hope is still there for it to be a good film, but I was not sold, sold on the trailer at all. Sadly. Let me jump in. I thought the trailer was so different than what I've been seeing in some of these trailers. I thought it was quirky, weird. The, my biggest problem is we didn't get the birds of prey. Like I want to see yeah, like exactly. more of those ladies because I love both of those actors. I think they're both fantastic. I felt like this was a very Harley Quinn centric trailer. Um, this trailer looks so different. I thought the action, like there is action in this trailer and I think it looks really good. And I love the part where she's like, she's like on a skateboard doing like a Marty McFly hanging off the back of a vehicle. And, and uh, I mean, I thought, I thought the trailer looked really fun. I thought it looked really fun. Um, I think the movie looks bizarre and different than anything else that we've kind of seen. I want to see, a more traditional looking black mask as opposed to like what we got in this trailer with you and McGregor. Yeah. Um, you know, but it, it, I just think that they just wasted the cast on the, with the, with the trailer. 
Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's like yeah. Um, yeah. Mary Elizabeth Winstead, amazing. Yeah. Uh, Rosie Perez, Ali Wong, all these amazing. Well, and then like, what's the girl? The girl that was in Friday Night Lights, uh, who's playing Black Canary? Like, she's fantastic, and like, you know, she she just gets like a line where she's playing off of, you know, like, oh, you know, Harley, let's focus on this, blah blah blah, and it's like. I want to see more Birds of Prey. Like this, this, yeah. you're calling the movie Birds of Prey colon and the emancipation of proclamation of whatever. I don't know. <laughs> so like, like doing Hamilton now. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah. I, it, it's, it, you know, it, it, uh, ridiculous title, but like I wanted to see more of the Birds of Prey in this. Yeah. I think that's my main problem with it. But man, Dan, it, this is a, this is a, it's a, it, like I've watched, I've watched the trailer multiple times. The, the it's wacky. It's, it, it is different. And I think like, I didn't like, I wasn't a huge fan of Margot Robbie in the suicide squad. And I really, yes, I was not. I don't, she, I, but I'm a fan of like what I've seen in this trailer from the character. She looked, she, I, I she's, She's all over the place. She's unfocused and people are having to, you know, reel her in. And she's just, I, dude, she kind of reminded me of Britney Spears when she shaved her head. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm. So oh, I'm, that is a callback. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like, man, this this girl's kind of nuts, man. I'm I'm kind of <laughs> digging this, man. And so I'm I uh, I was actually impressed by this trailer, Laura. What did you think? Um, I love Mario Robbie, and I grew up watching the uh, animated Batman with Harley Quinn. So you know, super pumped about it um i didn't i liked her in the first suicide squad but i didn't um to me she was like too um sexed up and uh this seems more like of that wacky like you said kind of um out there character i love that they incorporated the hyena yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Yes. I was like, Wasn't she like, weren't they doing like a, uh, they were doing kind of like a lady in the tramp with the spaghetti, but with licorice? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I loved it. I loved it. Anytime there's like um, an animal sidekick, like, I love it. Um, but I do wish that there was more Birds of Prey. Um, yeah. And Ewan McGregor, yeah. I, I just wasn't feeling it. And they had shown the, the preview for the Doctor Sleep. Right yeah, before it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, so, and so it was like jarring for me to see him go from like one extreme to the other. And so it was just like, I don't know, him playing dress up. I don't uh, know. It was. He, he, I, I'm telling you, Ewan McGregor has been, him. he's been killing it. Like I, you know, Fargo, see, what was it? The, the, the most recent Fargo season that came out, he was fantastic in that. Um, Ewan McGregor. God, what a fucking talent. Have you guys watched Train Spotting too? I haven't watched no, it yet. No, I've kind of uh, revolted against the idea of ever seeing it, I think. I do want to eventually see it. I just want to do a Train Spotting rewatch before I watch Train Spotting 2. I, what bothered me about it was the posters that said T2. And I was just like, Oh, yeah. This ain't no judgment day. Fuck off with that <laughs> shit. 
<laughs> Jake, what did you think about Birds of Prey trailer? Oh man, I'm mostly right there with Dan. I toss it. I, I not even indicative of how good the movie will be. I just thought it was a lousy attempt at cutting a trailer that would excite and get people to the movie theater. I mean, other than the hardcore DC faithful, I don't see how this is bringing any casuals to the table. I thought this was a very lousy trailer. Wow. <laughs> 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 it didn't really have much, you know, like you can't tell like what it's going to be about. You just know it's going to be about Harley Quinn. Yeah. And there was like zero to no wow factor and it was just bad. Yeah, I think it's an easy fix. More, bird, more birds of prey, more hyenas. And then, more hyenas. Then, then you got me because that, that like red licorice rope thing, that was adorable. And that hyena looked fucking great as well. Like the CG looked really good. So yeah, I, yeah, more hyenas, more birds of prey. Yeah. And I show us a little bit, maybe just a little bit of what it's about as opposed to just that, you know, the, the Joker. So we need her in the best off. In the second trailer, it needs to be like that Blue Oyster Cult sketch for Saturday Night Live with Christopher Walken. He's like, more hyenas. Like, that needs that needs to happen. <laughs> yeah, more cow, more hyenas more, with cowbells. Exactly. <laughs> Cowbell hyenas. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, that's the thing. It's just like, yeah, yeah just bring, it, bring in some more of the characters. Don't make it just about Harley Quinn, even though it is, you know, technically her movie. But, yeah, no, bring, in, bring in some other everybody else and let's see what they're doing as well i i get it like it wasn't the like it wasn't the best cut trailer but like the scenes themselves without like you know the the silly music and all that shit like it did look like there was some pretty good action in it and uh it's a dope drop kick in it i do remember that very clearly like the two-footed drop kick she does yeah that looked great but again it's just you know i'm i'm only saying that they just they need to show me a bit more of sure. the other cast because I know that they're trying to sell it on Margot Robbie because she is yeah. such a fantastic actress. She really is. But um, yeah, just yeah, just bring in a little bit more for us. All right, all right, all right. Hey, God, are you gonna be? Uh, are you gonna? Uh, you gonna be? That's all, folks. <laughs> oh my God! Yes. I turned into I turned into Porky Pig. <laughs> In the final <laughs> moments of this episode. <laughs> it's our new wrap up catchphrase. It is. It is. It's not, I'm going to be, we're going to be sued by Looney Tunes. <laughs> so. Oh man, it's a Warner Brothers movie review, so we're good. Totally. Damn, thank you. Thank you. Um, what was I going to say? I was going to say, uh. Have you oh, seen. Are we going then, to. Huh? You said I'm like, are oh, we watch. going to do something? <laughs> well, you guys are both talking at the same okay, time. You, you go, Jake. <laughs> you were like, have you or are you going to, will you guys be, you were getting ready to ask us if we were going to partake in watching something or doing something. <laughs> oh, the Batwoman. Batwoman is going to be, <laughs> Batwoman is, they're going to premiere Batwoman, uh, I believe October 6th, and you're going to be able to watch it on the CW. You guys going to be watching uh, the uh, new Batwoman with, uh, what's your name? Is her name, is her name Ruby Rose or Rose? Ruby Rose. Ruby Rose. Yeah, that, that, Ruby is Rose. that is correct. Yeah, you guys, mm-hmm. I, I'm actually, I think, I think I'm going to be watching this one. Mm, I will off. not be watching it. I, I will also not be watching it. <laughs> oh, I love her. <laughs> oh, she's, she's lovely. 
Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't dislike her either. I, maybe if this was independent in a brand new startup show, but since it's like fifth in line of the CW universe, I'm out. All right. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm so happy that I asked that question. Um, Laura's I, excited. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm going to be watching it. I, I was watching. Uh, what was I watching today? I was watching something, and they kept showing like. Uh, trailers for it and i was just like you motherfuckers are you know like i was out i I felt like i was john wick like i was out of these cw shows and it's like hey i'm back you know what i mean so (laughs) i'm guessing i'm back i'm guessing i'm back um yeah if this is your first time listening i want to thank you for listening um, you probably also hate the show. I get it. And you probably also hate me. I get it. I hear that all yeah, the time. Yeah, hey, if this is your last time listening, I want to say fuck you. Yeah, exactly. Yay. Thank you. <laughs> no, it's, and I get it. Like, I'll probably hear some stuff from people. And I want to thank you. You know, you, you probably didn't like our thoughts and about how much we like this movie that, uh, has so much violence in it and all this other stuff. But you're going to, you know how you're going to, how you're going to remedy that you're you're going to get on social media or an itunes review and uh tell us to go fuck ourselves in that and that's how you're going to remedy that because you're just a wonderful human being and that's <laughs> you know what i mean that that'll make that'll make all the wrongs right in the world um so that yeah good good luck with that but if you did like the show and you do want to stick with us, we do have regular episodes where we talk about everything in uh, pop culture. And next week, I plan on talking about a lot of things. Um, I want to be ta- we're going to be talking about I'm going to be talking about Godfather of Harlem on Epics. It's a new series with uh, oh my god, this fucking cast! I am not even kidding you, Forrest Whitaker and Vincent D'Onofrio. Oh my God! We'll be talking about. I'll be talking about Godfather of Harlem. Uh, hopefully, I'll be talking about Goliath season three, uh, Billy Bob Thornton's show. Uh, I'll be talking about the Judy movie, the Judy Garland film that came out. Um, Bless the Hearts on Fox, In the Tall Grass on Netflix. This is based on a novella uh, developed by, uh, written by uh, Stephen King and Joe Hill. Um, I'll be talking about uh, Memory. The Origins of Alien, which is a new documentary about uh, Alien and Ridley Scott and everything. I've been hearing rave reviews about this one, so I'll be watching that. And then I might even be talking about the new Facebook Watch show that's starring uh, uh, Elizabeth Olsen, who plays Scarlet Witch in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's her show called Sorry for Your Loss, and you can watch it free on Facebook Watch. So I'm just giving everybody little teases of what we're going to be talking about next week in a segment that we call Good Pop, Bad Pop. That way, if you wanted to watch these things and follow along, you could. Otherwise, you could just get on social media and rip us new assholes for this episode. <laughs> Bring it, motherfuckers. Because that... Oh, don't, no, don't ask for it, Jake. I, <laughs> you, know, you know, don't ask for it. But, like, you know, that'll happen. That'll happen. People will how, do that. How are you watching this new Alien documentary? I've got to ask. Uh, Fandango Now. It's also available, I believe, on... Uh, um, I go to the Just Watch app, and I typed it in. And it's available on, like, Microsoft has their own streaming service. Uh, I think Google has their own streaming service. Hold on, let me find it. Yeah, it's, dude, I have heard nothing but amazing things 
about, it's called Memory, the Origin of Alien. I watched the trailer for it today. Uh, I'll probably be talking a little bit about Big Mouth Season 3 as well. Did I lose you guys? Oh, fuck, I lost them. Hold on. That was weird. Yeah, it was weird. It just fucking hung up on you. Yeah, my shit just fucking crashed. Yeah, everything. Everybody crashed. Weird. Hold on. Let me see here. Alien. I'm keeping this in. I don't care. You fucking podcasters with your editing and shit. (laughs) (laughs) Wame. Give me a fucking break. You can, uh, yeah, you can stream Memory, the Origins of uh, Alien, uh, on uh, Apple, uh, Fandango Now, Voodoo, and uh, Microsoft, and it's available for six ninety nine. It, dude, here's the thing, Dan. Check this out, dude. They fucking it, it got released yesterday, and they had it in thirty theaters. Thirty Whoa. fucking theaters. I would have had to drive to Chicago. Or uh, they didn't even have it in St. Louis. I was like, dude, if they had it, in S- St. Louis is two hours away from me. I would have made, I would have trekked, I would have fucking made the drive to St. Louis yesterday to watch this in the theater. But they didn't. It wasn't even in St. Louis. Wow, Thirty fucking theaters, man. I'm sure I'll be able to find it on one of the streaming services. I'll definitely watch that. That's oh great. God! Uh, I, I want to see it very much too. It's one of my favorite movies. If if anything, just watch the trailer, and that'll get you. Like, dude, I'm so pumped to watch this because it really goes over kind of like, you know, um, the mythology and some of like the meaning of what Alien. Like, there's a deeper meaning to that movie um, that uh, that you don't really. You know that the movie doesn't kind of spell out for everybody, and and uh, I cannot wait to see this movie. I'm going to watch it tomorrow, so I'll talk about. That. Oh, and then uh, did I say yeah? In the tall grass, I actually watched that today, so we'll talk about that. That's the and everybody. If you have Netflix, you can watch that right now. Watch it right now. Patrick Wilson's in it. Yeah, Patrick, <gasps> love that yeah. guy. Yeah, Patrick Wilson's in it. So watch into the tall in, in the tall grass. It's uh, you know Joe Hill and fucking uh, his father Stephen King collaborated on this story. And guess what? It's directed by Vincent Natale, uh, Vincenzo Natale. Like if you've watched uh, episodes of Westworld, if you've watched, I think he done some American Gods. This guy has done a ton of great TV that I have loved. So um, definitely uh, watch that. You know, in the tall grass. In the in the tall grass sounds like a fucking Cheech and Chong movie, doesn't it? <laughs> I thought it I thought it sounded like a seventies porn. <laughs> no, that's a bush, Jake. Uh, oh, in the right. tall grass is definitely Cheech and Chong. All right, I hate to I hate to be that guy and correct you in the moment here. It's okay. It's All okay. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm right though, right? Oh yeah, totally right. Totally right. Jake's not agreeing with me. Jake's 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 still like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna fucking hang on to this on to this uh, this great this this uh, fucking. I mean, I said I thought it. I I, I don't know how I could be wrong about what I, what I thought, but <laughs> it doesn't have to be a shared opinion. 
Still wrong. Annie. Oh, no, I'm very wrong. <laughs> oh, fuck me. Hey, Laura, thank you for joining us on this first episode. Probably will never want to join us again. Am I correct? No, no, you are wrong. <laughs> I hope you enjoy. Dan. I had a yeah? great time. Did you have a good time? I did. I did. Kind of a, was it weird? Was it surreal? Was it sur- yeah. <laughs> was it a, was it a surreal experience? Shut, shut up! Because <laughs> like, seriously, I was thinking of the word earlier. I was like, "How am I feeling about this?" I'm like, "It's surreal." Oh my god! <laughs> we've heard people say this before. It's like you know, I listen to the episodes, and like here I am on the show, and I'm hearing him. I'm hearing him talk live. <laughs> <laughs> It is weird. Um, <laughs> like sometimes I'm just listening, and then I'm like, "Yeah, oh, I, maybe I should have chimed in." But then I'm like, "Nah, I'm just listening." No, it's like, but yeah, yeah you... I've, I've had a great time. Good, uh, it is surreal. Very good, <laughs> Dan. Always a pleasure to have you on. I would so have you. I miss you guys. I miss you too. I would have you on every week. You know this. I know things are busy. You know I know. That. <laughs> I would have no. I know things are busy with you. I would have you on every week. I'm not just saying that. Like I would, you would be on. You would be a mainstay. Thanks, man. And I would be on every week if I could. Seriously, like you would be. You would be like, like I. I you would be the. Uh, you would be that mole that I have on my left thigh. <laughs> You know what I'll I mean? Take it. It's there. It ain't going anywhere. It's always there. I know it's there. This is I'm not quite sure if you should ask someone about it or not. <laughs> I know. Should you look at the? Is this cancerous? Possibly. Should I worry about this? Uh, no, I'll just I'll just stick around like herpes and just turn up every now and then when you don't want me to. No, we always want you to. <laughs> we always want you to show up. We love having you on. You're always welcome. You can send me a message. Out of nowhere, it doesn't matter. You can be. I want to be on this week, and it would, that would make my day. That would. It's just like on a random week, I get a message from Dan. That would make my week. You know what I mean? Well, I will try more to be freer. Instead, I get messages from random fuckhead McGee wanting to be on. <laughs> <laughs> I have put no effort into this show. Can I right. be on? <laughs> right. Can I be on? Can I, I like your show. Don't talk about Ray anymore. Yeah. <laughs> no, come on. You can't bring him up. Nobody knows. It, it was a joke. It was yeah. a joke. I know. Hey, Jake, thanks for being here like you are every week. Thank you. It was fun. <laughs> now, I always love I was, it. I was excited for this one. Much yeah. like Dan, I was very curious. It, this episode could have been... A very different episode if one of us had strong feelings the other way about this movie. So yeah. I was interested to see what we thought. Absolutely. Guys, uh, thanks for listening. And just like all good leftovers say in their doggy bags, thank you for your patronage. Thanks for listening. We will see you next week. See ya. Yeah, yeah bye. That's bye. all, folks. <laughs> yep, 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 that's all, folks. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Leftovers. Congratulations. I don't know how you did it. I couldn't do it. You people need a t-shirt saying, I just listened to two hours of nonsensical crap. Anyway, if you'd like to reach the Pop Culture Leftovers cast, you can email them at comments at popcultureleftovers.com. You can also follow them on Twitter at PC Leftovers or like their Facebook page. They'd love to hear from you. 
They're all pretty sad and lonely. One of them is homeless. But I didn't say that. There's already like 7 million podcasts talking about pop culture and all that. Makes us happy like shooting at a womp rat. But it's all been done before. And we don't want to be a copycat. We're the leftovers picking up the scraps. Dropped by the cool kids. It, it, it's a trap. Good it, toss it, good it, taste it. Do we love it? Hey, let's face it, clean it, race it, let's embrace it. Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture. Carryover, counterculture, pushover, pop culture. Leftovers. And with the uncool kids. What's to say's already been said. Leftovers. Pretty sure that the only talent is the band that's singing this. Hot culture leftovers. Podcasts that are originally good. I've already been done before, so we should separate the wheat from the shaft and we're the shaft of crap, even though we're the shit. Woo! We're the leftovers picking up the scraps, dropped by the cool kids. It, it, it's a trap. Good it, toss it, good it, taste it, do we love it? Hey, let's race it, can't erase it, let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture, carryover, counterculture, pushover, pop culture, leftovers. And with the uncool kids. What's to say's already been said Leftover Pretty sure that the only talent Is the band that's singing this Pop culture leftovers Love it, hey, let's face it, can't erase it, let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture, carryover, counterculture, pushover, pop culture. Leftover, and you uncool kids, what's to say's already been said. Leftover, pretty sure that the only talent is the band that's singing this. Pop culture leftovers.